Hello, everybody, and welcome to Turn the Page, Season 3, Book 7, the final, the finale even, of Sherlock Holmes' solo mysteries, The Royal Flush. Are you ready for this? You mean this is the final? Je ne well, pas pour le français? Uh, yeah, you, you know what? Caught me red-handed. There is a there's one more book in the series, but it's exclusively in French. Uh, sorry, we've done a lot for the podcast. We did not, over the course of these, uh, whatever, seven weeks, learn French fluently. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess I, I, can, tried, I guess I did it. I could barely do that sentence. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say, I was about to say, I didn't, but that was fairly. I don't know. I could have been fooled. <laughs> but it is the worst of all time. I think it basically said, "Do you not speak French?" Ah, <laughs> and and any answer, uh, any correct answer, it makes it a lie. Caught mm-hmm. mm, you in a ruse, but yes. it didn't work. I have not gathered this evidence. I cannot mark that down as deduction twenty-two. Rito actually knew French, and he was pretending that he didn't the whole time. <laughs> Oui, oui. Uh, <gasps> oh no! Soutalora! Jacques! Ah. <laughs> oh no! Uh, no? <laughs> <laughs> Is there an N at the end of that or an O? Uh, 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 N? Hmm. Let's go. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's the last one that we can read. There's technically an eighth and final book. It's in French. We obviously can't, uh, unless there's a translation that comes out for it, or we're or we're wrong. I guess is basically it. Uh, in which case, I don't know. I'm sure we'll find some way to rectify that. But wow, it's it's been a it's been a trip. Wait, oh, oh, do you see what I see on this second page here? The one like directly after the title in the bottom left. Oh dear. That was intended to be a ninth. Yes. So it says look for new game books in the Sherlock Holmes Solo Mysteries series every other month. Uh number eight, The Lost Air. So that one is the one that did come out. It was that's the one in French only. In theory. Asterisk. I don't have I didn't I guess I didn't look that crazy into it, but it sure didn't look like it. And then there's nine, the kidnapping of Moriarty, which honestly that would have been fun. Mm-hmm. How dare, uh, Jacques about something? Jacques, the writers, they just didn't want to have to write the whole story about Moriarty. <laughs> it would have been difficult to write, but it would have been so good. Yeah, but here we shall go. Uh, the second book that just has the crown in it, doesn't it? Crown royal, royal flush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Them Sherlock's. Oh, also, I'm obviously slightly hyped here as a fan of the old uh, old poker. Oh, you think? Do you think it actually has something to do with it? I think it may. Yeah, like like a a key piece of information may be a game played between multiple members, mm. but we'll only figure that out should we dive into the book. All right, let's not prolong. Let's prolog. It was the sheer... Oh, we're starting off fierce. <laughs> effrontery... Uh, wait, effrontery of it that galled the Chamberlain the most. British sentries had been attacked before, but never in the courtyard of Buckingham Palace. 
He'd been summoned from a warm bed by the officer of the guard and brought out into the sleet in January cold to find the injured man lying unconscious in front of the sentry box being tended to by a doctor. We found him in there, said the guard officer, a captain whose name the Chamberlain could never remember, indicating the narrow box with the peaked roof used to protect sentries from the elements. Under normal circumstances, I would have taken care of the matter myself, Lord Chamberlain, but I thought you might want to take a look. A look at what, cha Captain? The Chamberlain asked. At this. The officer replied, handing over a metal cylinder that he'd taken from his coat pocket. A sentry clutched it in his hands. I had a devil of a time trying to take it from him. The cylinder was a foot long and nearly two inches in diameter, made of brass richly embossed with silver and a little bit of gold. It was an item the Chamberlain recognized at once, having seen it many times. The Queen's Seal of State? He asked incredulously. You found it in the sentry's hand. That's quite impossible. Only the Queen's officials, staff, and family have access to her study. Oh, it's true nonetheless, Lord Chamberlain. That's why I sent for you. And you were quite right to do so, Captain. The older man sighed, wrapping his cloak more tightly around him. How is your man? Our doctor's tending to him. Should be able to tell us something by now. The two men walked over to the unconscious figure lying on a blanket and covered in by a tarpaulin. I've never... It's, it's like when you figure out <laughs> someone's, like, real full name from their nickname. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get over I here! I didn't know your last name was Orlin Tarp? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh... Get over here, Tarpaulin and Marie. You know, full. You know, just go full name with it. You're in trouble, mm -hmm. Tarp. <laughs> the next day at school, that's the only thing you refer to that person as. Hey, tarpaulin. Yeah, it's just. It feels like a full. It feels like Tarp just got exposed. Anyways, the injured man's face was slack, and there was a great bruises along the left side of his jaw and temple. The Chamberlain saw that he was hatless and after a moment spotted his crumpled bearskin in one corner of the sentry box. His attention was drawn back as the doctor stood. Well, doctor, will he be all right? The captain asked. I very much doubt it, although it's difficult to see, but the head wounds. He did right not to move him. His scapula's broken, and there are several ribs on the left side. He's been quite thoroughly beaten, probably with a heavy object. And he's also been stabbed in the chest with a long, thin blade, but since it was almost no blood, I believe that may have happened near the end of the struggle. How is the other sentry in the courtyard... How is it, rather, the other sentry in the courtyard did not hear this commotion, Captain? Demanded the Chamberlain. His station is less than a hundred feet away. It was the weather, Lord Chamberlain. The guard officer replied, stiffening slightly at the implied criticism. The sleet and rain were heavy last night. So there was a very thick fog off the Thames just before dawn. The sentries were instructed to stay in their boxes in such weather unless they were needed. Did no one check on him? The sergeant and I have become involved in settling an altercation between two merchants making deliveries at the service entrance. When the sergeant came round with a relief, he found McNeil here slumped over his box unconscious. What do you make of it then? Asked the Chamberlain. Robbery'd be my guess, Lord Chamberlain. McNeil must have found a fellow sneaking out of the palace. You believe a thief would attempt to sneak out of the main entrance of the palace? The Chamberlain said, a note of disbelief in his voice. Oh, with the rain and fog so heavy, it might be the logical exit. 
The service entrance is, of course, quite busy at the time. Perhaps you are right, Captain. The older man replied, but the tone of his voice indicated that he thought otherwise. Will he recover? Queen Victoria asked. I think not, Your Majesty. The Chamberlain replied. He looked as though he might die at any moment. That poor man, to lie out in the cold and rain for so long. She sighed sadly. It is a tragedy. Your Majesty, you don't know yet the worst of it. What do you mean, Lord Chamberlain? He was nearly beaten to death with this. The Chamberlain unwrapped the cylindrical seal and handed it to her. With my seal? Surely there's been some mistake. He could not possibly have been struck with my seal. Your Majesty, I checked your study, and it is indeed Your Majesty's seal. I've had it cleaned, as you can see where the metal is scratched and the gold and silver inlay torn away. So it is. Queen Victoria replied reluctantly after looking closely at the seal. I begin to see what you mean. How did it come to be when only my staff and family have access to my study? Yes, Your Majesty. Lord Chamberlain, I simply cannot have another scandal involving the royal household. Not after the newspapers printed about the Tranby Croft affair. It could irretrievably damage the prestige of the monarchy. We still don't know what happened, Your Majesty. There may be some other explanation. At the moment, the guard officer believes the sentry was attacked by a thief attempting to make off with the seal. You don't seriously believe that, do you? The Queen asked disdainfully. The Lord Chamberlain stiffened visibly. Uh, no, Your Majesty, I don't. But the young captain does not know how difficult it would be for a thief to reach Your Majesty's study. Where then? Where does that leave us? With the staff, your family, Your Majesty. Oh, I cannot imagine why anyone would want Your Majesty's seal. Other than Mr. Gladstone to affix to his royal home bill. She sniffed disdainfully. What about your staff? I believe I can vouch for all of them, Your Majesty. No one of my staff had the opportunity last evening. That leaves the royal family, I believe. This is very interesting, because it feels like we're getting... I'm so curious what the whole book is going to be. Because mm -hmm. it feels like we're getting so much about the event and occurrence. We're getting so much more detail than we usually get, like, halfway through the book. I suspect that because of that, we are going to have a truncated list of suspects. Yeah. And it's going to be thorough investigation of each rather than just, like, you know, whistling past a couple of conversations as we have in each. I, I think that'll probably be the case as well. But that's just, it's just such an interesting note. And you can also tell, like, because this one was written by the person who wrote, not the last one, but the one prior, and that yeah. that similarly had a very, very long prologue. But even that one, that prologue was not like this is like this is what happened. This or like this is super detailed what we think happened. And mm -hmm. it's it's definitely it's very unique as a result. It feels like we're gonna be presented like the conclusion of a completely different investigation yeah. as the the starting point for our own. Yeah, that's it's it feels like we're, we're going to have to get hit with something, but I guess we can keep reading to find out. Uh, and at least the royal family, I believe, she concluded resignedly. Yes, your majesty. And possibly their friends. Shall I summon Scotland Yard? Not yet, Lord Chamberlain. This poor man has not died, you say? That is correct, your majesty. At least not yet. 
If I summon the police, the story will appear in the evening newspapers, and the low and scurrilous will insist that the sentry was beaten by a member of my immediate family. They will never say it directly, but some of them will hint that the Prince of Wales is somehow responsible. But we must report the crime, Your Majesty. The man may die. I will not have my family dragged across the front page of every London newspaper without cause, Lord Chamberlain. The man has not died. He is merely unconscious. No, I should like for you to investigate this affair yourself. If you can uncover the culprit, we may keep my family out of it. Your Majesty, if the man dies... The Chamberlain protested. Then I shall have no choice but to summon the police. However, until that happens, I should like our own investigation to proceed. Forty-eight hours should be significant. Stop! I know what you're about to say. She continued, raising her hand to forestall another protest. You need not conduct the investigation yourself. Choose someone capable. Someone who can be relied upon for discretion. Yes, Your Majesty. He replied, accepting the inevitability of it. Oh, and one more thing, Lord Chamberlain. The Queen continued. I will not have members of my family questioned by a commoner. Whomever you choose to investigate must be of noble birth. It should be pretty obvious that... None of you have what, uh, none of you have heard here is to be mentioned outside of this room. Should the newspapers get wind of this, the Queen will sack the lot of us. I should like to entertain your suggestions. The Lord Chamberlain pushed back from the desk over which he had been addressing the subordinates and stood expectantly, his hands at his back. I don't believe that the investigator should be any of the palace staff, replied Robert Turncliffe, his principal assistant. The repercussions could be horrendous for us all, especially if a member of the royal family takes insult. None of the Queen's family is qualified to investigate the matter. It's that guy. <laughs> I can I can hear it in his voice. <laughs> Besides, they wouldn't find out what I what 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 someone else did. <laughs> but also, I will say that that voice definitely sells me on on it being this guy, even though that has nothing to do with it. But Turncliffe is very close to Turncoat and has me wary mm -hmm. as well. <laughs> anyway, uh, at Samuel Johnston, another subordinate. I've already reached those conclusions myself, gentlemen, commented the Chamberlain dryly. Now tell me who qualifies. I must confess, I've not actually been able to think of a single name. What about the Prince of Wales, friends? Asked Johnston. Surely one of them could qualify. He was startled to see both the other man Blanche at his suggestion. Certainly not, swore the Chamberlain. Those friends of his have been given the, have given the Queen so many sleepless nights that the very suggestion of appointing one of them would have the royal headsman sharpening his axe. <sighs> You've not been here long, Mr. Johnson. Matters have been quiet for a good while now, but they have not always been so. Johnston sat back in his chair, somewhat chagrined. I always thought the stories were greatly exaggerated. Well, they were not, snapped the Chamberlain. What about you, Robert? Uh, I've just had a thought, Lord Chamberlain, he replied. I read last week that the Earl of Marne's son is in London. It was in the Times, I believe. Something to do with medical research. Ah, oh, I read that article, interrupted Johnston excitedly. The research he's doing is a study of causes of criminal behaviour in the insane. Uh, the paper also freely quotes from that detective fellow, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh. Now, I believe 
We have something there, exclaimed the Chamberlain with a gleam in his eye. Provincial nobility, not likely to be out to even old scores. An investigator with an understanding of the criminal mind. A logical candidate, gentlemen. One that will satisfy the Queen and one unlikely to bring his mistakes home to roost with us. Send Sir Henry to fetch him. Dang. Turn to page 149. That was a hefty intro. Mm-hmm. And still, so it was. Still no choice. Uh... Yeah, you you can you can definitely tell it's by this that same guy who did the other one. We'll I'll be mm-hmm. curious to see because that one had a, a, a very clear goal of like wanting to tell its own story more than it was a choose your own adventure. I am yep. curious to see if uh, they kind of expanded on that or or, or you know, it was a good story for what it's worth. I was very interested, uh, but I'm curious to see if we have a. Uh, more more play in it at, at this point. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely the same. It, it it feels like these ones are more dialogue heavy, and that is certainly how it feels so far. But I will say the nice thing about this one versus that one is I remember the prologue in the other book. This one is like a nice clean back and forth between us. The other one was very like chunk, chunk. Like chunk of text, chunk of dialogue. Big chunk of text, big chunk of dialogue. This one at least feels like a nice ping pong. Feels like the pacing feels better. Uh, despite it being longer. Anyways, that's my book review. Uh, 149. You are in my book review of the book that we read the prologue for. <laughs> and I'm That's my done. book review of the prologue. <laughs> that's my prologue review. It's a, it's a head, headline review. <laughs> you know, I want to be a book reviewer who only reviews blurbs. <laughs> Just you review the quotes from other people on the back. <laughs> <laughs> These pull quotes are the best in the game, and then that gets quoted on some. <laughs> uh, anyways, 149. You are in the study reading your notes when the doorbell rings. Vincent, your servant, wow, definitely different people, walks through the room on his way to the front door. You hear the sounds of muffled conversation as someone enters and the door closes. After a moment, Vincent comes to the study. Excuse me, sir. But there's a man from the government to see you on a confidential matter. Very well, Vincent. You reply, putting your papers back in your roll-top desk. Show him in. A moment later, Vincent returns with a well-dressed stranger. Good morning, sir. Sorry, I just see... You reply, putting your paper... Wait, no. Uh, <laughs> you reply, <laughs> putting your papers back back into your roll-top desk. Uh, the man begins after your servant departs, shutting the door behind him. Before I introduce myself, may I ask if you are Richard Lord Huntington, second son of the Earl of Marth? Yeah, I am. You reply, somewhat surprised. Then, sir, may I present myself? I am Sir Henry Lowe, second secretary to the Lord High Chamberlain, and I have come on a very serious matter. Turn to 364. Later, you leave your house just off Regent's Park, and accept Sir Henry's offer of a ride to Buckingham Palace. On the way, you have a chance to ponder the extraordinary request which has been made of you, and the almost undignified eagerness with which you accepted. Sir Henry was brief, but thorough with his explanation of the assault as well as Chamberlain's request. You have agreed to respect the Queen's desire for secrecy, and you're under no illusions as to why you've been selected. No one expects you to succeed... Oh my god. Expects you to (laughs) succeed... Remember that thing we said? 
<laughs> With possible exception of the queen. To the Chamberlain and his subordinates, you are nothing more than a cipher needed to fill a slot in the column of figures. A name to give the queen. You feel your jaw muscles tighten as if it was... If it is humanly possible, you will solve this crime and justify Queen Victoria's faith in you. The carriage passes through Trafalgar Square and under Admiral <laughs> Admiralty Arch, making its way down, down the mall, that one I could say, uh, towards the palace. You begin to plan how you will conduct the investigation. The need for secrecy will hamper you. On the other hand, the Chamberlain has promised to intercede for you in difficult situations, dealing with nobility, all of whom who outrank you will be tricky, but perhaps most difficult of all will be the arbitrary time limit the Queen has placed on your investigation. You need all the help you can get. To that end, you decide you'll involve the Sherlock Holmes, the Sherlock Holmes, into the investigation at the earliest opportunity. Even if he cannot be an active participant, and why would he be? Because then it'd be too easy, because he knows it immediately. Even if he cannot be an active participant, he'll be an invaluable asset in a consulting capacity, provided you can gain his attention. You remember the case you brought him last year. Holmes scoffed at it and suggested you go to the police. Really? The ultimate indicator of its pedestrian nature. Hopefully this one will contain something to spark his interest. Your carriage stops at the guards in front of Buckingham Palace as they pull the gates open. Once they're open, you enter and drive through the short, short passage into an inner courtyard, and you dismount from the carriage, glancing at the sentry boxes on either side, and then follow Sir Henry into the palace. On the way, you stop for a moment to straighten your, your tie in the hallway mirror. Looking critically at your own reflection, you see a tall, lean man with dark hair and sharp features. Anyone who does not know you would put your age at 30, though you are still two months short of your 25th birth. The pain of the loss of... Wow, you get all this from the mirror? The pain <laughs> of the loss of your wife and daughter is still etched in the lines of your face, and a haunted look still lingers in the depths of your eyes. Man, you really need some moisturizer. <laughs> oh that's that's in there? You're broke, you got a bum leg, you <laughs> look old, and your family's dead. Like, what? <laughs> that's absurd. Man, that's uh, that's some a break. that's some dead wife wrinkles right there, <laughs> dude. Come oh, on! Oh, oh, sorry, and daughter, and daughter. I <laughs> oh, see the despair yeah. in your eyes. Sorry, I, the, I apologize. That's one hundred percent some dead daughter crow's feet. One hundred percent. Throw some moisturizer. Jesus, <laughs> you straighten your tie and hurry to catch up with Sir Henry. The Chamberlain stands when you enter. Ah, uh, Mister Huntington, do come in. He says, shaking your hand. So gratifying you could spare the time to assist us in this unpleasant. My pleasure, Lord Chamberlain. You reply. Sir Henry's already briefed me on the particulars of this case. Is there any reason I shouldn't just get right to it? The sooner the better, Mr. Huntington, but there have been several developments since Sir Henry left to fetch you. Oh, for one thing, the entire guard detail has been confined to the Wellington barracks for the next two days, to keep the news from getting out too soon, and of course to insist your, uh, assist rather your investigation. I also have something for you. He hands you a small rolled parchment. This is a writ from the Queen, giving you authority to question members of the royal family and forbidding them from taking insult. It may help <laughs> in cases where you cannot reveal the nature of your investigation. Thank you, Lord Chamberlain. I am so jealous that you have a message from the Queen that says they legally can't get mad at yep. you. If you said something wrong, that's so I... 
If only. If I, I would had... give half my lifespan for a note like that. It doesn't have to be yeah. from the queen. Just a note that I believe in the power of that yeah. says, you can't get mad at me. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, let's see. Thank you, Lord Chamberlain. You say? The wit, the writ, rather, will be most helpful. There's actually one other thing I'd like, if it's not too much trouble. Of course, Mr. Huntington. What is it? I'd like to examine the Queen's seal. And that's no trouble at all. I actually have it still here in the office. He reaches into a compartment in his desk, extracts the seal, and hands it to you. You examine the cylinder carefully, noting the scratches in the metal and the places where the embossing has been damaged, and you look up. Did you have the seal cleaned, Lord Chamberlain? You ask. Certainly. I couldn't take it to the Queen, looking the way it did this morning. Why do you ask? This may turn out to be the murder weapon, Lord Chamberlain. In its original state, it could have provided valuable clues as to the identity of the attacker. Ah, yes, replies the Chamberlain without a great deal of interest. I see now that it should not have been cleaned. He rises to indicate the meeting is at an end. Ah, at least it is comforting to know that we have an expert on the case. Good luck, Mr. Huntington. Sir Henry sees you to the door. Check off clue A and result A. We didn't make a choice, but thank you. This is like when you get but a steam. Okay, we're about to make a choice. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like when you get a steam achievement for, and it's like, congratulations, you've opened the game. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're like whole Thanks. brave brave world, and it's like complete the prologue. Yeah, <laughs> complete the prologue. Uh, if you go to see the scene of the crime, check decision one and turn to four fifty two. If you question the officers of the guard, check decision two and turn to three ninety six. I mean, I have a sneaking suspicion we will get to do both. Mm-hmm. But I really want to see the scene of that crime. Yeah. But also, yeah, the, the cleaning the the oh god, what's it? The, I was gonna say scroll, the seal. Cleaning <laughs> the seal is like I don't know if he is should be suspicious, but like that's so dumb. Yep. That he is obvious, like he's already a suspect. It's so dumb. Hasn't he ever seen a crime procedural? Does he <laughs> ever need... The detective never walks into the scene, picks up the gun, and just brushes the fingerprints off. Like, it just doesn't happen. Have you not seen CSI Paddington Station? Come on. <laughs> Appointment viewing. Uh, 452. Deciding to examine the scene of the crime, you walk back out into the courtyard and approach one of the guards. Fortunately, it's still early in the morning. There's few people about... Are you permitted to speak? You ask him. Yes, sir. The man replies. I've been appointed to investigate the incident of last night. You say? Must examine the sentry box where Private McNeil was standing. Which one was that? What was the one behind me? Can you march about it while I examine it? You continue. Aye, that I can do, says the soldier. The guards begin a stately march back and forth along the walls of the courtyard. While you peer at the sentry box... Topped by a peaked roof, you look inside. Without a door, and topped by a peaked roof, you look inside. Take a number and add your observation. It is a four-tier result. Two to four, mm-hmm. five to seven, to eight to nine. And what's yes. the last one? It's a ten to twelve. <laughs> oh, thank you. Sorry. Is that one we're getting? I'm going to roll the first die, and I'll tell you, it's not happening. All right. That's a one, baby. Or a two. It could have been a one or a two. Either way. Uh, that is not great. That is going to be a second result. That is a 5 to 7, turn to 129. 
and a large oof. Second result, second to worst. The inside of the sentry box is dark, poorly lit by the overcast sky, and smells musty. You poke around inside, but the box has been recently swept. You're about to leave when you see a scrap of paper caught under the baseboard, and you take it out and examine it. There appears to be nothing remarkable about it at first glance. The shape is triangular. There's nothing written on it. It's a Dorito. You, you try it. <laughs> you are blasted with nacho flavor. <laughs> you try and think about what to do next. Uh, check off clue B. And turn to 494. We have a so we have a unremarkable triangular thing. Piece mm -hmm. of paper. A scrap of paper found in the booth. Gotcha. You pause to collect your wits. Have you checked decision two? If you've checked decision two, you decide to visit Sherlock Holmes. Otherwise, 396. Yep. So we are, in fact, going back to do the other decision. Yeah, exactly. You decide to question the guard officers, who will be off duty soon. As you do not want to walk over to the barracks to find them later, you're too lazy. If you question the sergeant of the guard, 143, or the officer of the guard, 485. I have no strong feelings one way or another, so I would go top no, to bottom. Let's... Yep, it's exactly the way I would have added as well. <laughs> 143. If I have no opinions, I'm going to go in the cleanest, like, left to right reading way. Or top to bottom. And boy, wouldn't you know it? I often don't have an opinion. <laughs> you decide to question the sergeant of the guard because he found Private McNeil and may be able to provide additional details. Also, you're fairly certain he would know more about McNeil than, than does the captain. Upon inquiry, you find him in a small office near the guard room at the one side of the palace, and he stands as you enter. May I help you, sir? He asks. Possibly, Sergeant. You reply. I've been appointed by the Lord High Chamberlain to investigate the assault on your man. I'd like to ask you a few questions, if I can. <laughs> Whose man is this? Check decision three, and pick a number at your communication. We only need a six for the love of gob. I mean, I roll a six, so we get a seven. Hell yeah. We'll take it. successful result. Ever so slightly redeemed. We didn't trip certainly over so. the sidewalk. <laughs> uh, sorry, certainly, sir. He replies. I'd be quite happy to help you. Uh, what you want to know? You may begin by telling me what you know about McNeil. What sort of soldier is he? Does he need friends in the unit? Uh, well, sir. The sergeant answer answers. Mm? Answers after thinking a moment. McNeil, his given name is Thomas, uh, comes from a little village in Cork. He'd been in the army for just over five years. I can't say he's a model soldier, but I will say that he's a little better than I expected. With his temper, you'd expect him to be more of a brawler, but he really gets into scuffles in the barracks. He's said to be a moderate drinker and thrifty with his money. Always seems to have a few shillings to lend to his mates. Is, is this the kind of information you want, sir? Yes, yeah, Sergeant. You say? Uh, what about his friends, though? Oh, not many, I think. There was one man in the B-Watch. Uh, Bracker is his name. Uh, they've been seen coming back to camp together, but can't really think of anyone else. Could you tell me where I could find this man Bracker, Sergeant? Perhaps I should speak with him. He should be in the guard room down the hall. Uh, preparing for the change in the guard, sir. You thank him and leave his office, walking down the short hall to the guard room, entering the room. You find a small group of soldiers putting on their dress uniforms and making themselves presentable. You stand quietly for a moment to get their attention. Is there a private bracker here? You ask. One of the men straightens up and looks at you. Here, sir. He says, standing to attention. Stand easy, soldier. You say. I'm only here to ask you a few questions. 
Yes, sir. He answers uneasily. You gesture him to accompany you out into the hallway. I'm investigating the incident which occurred last night, soldier. I need your help. Are you from Scotland Sard, sir? Bracker's tone is a little odd. <laughs> Nothing so glamorous, I'm afraid. You reply. This is a private investigation. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. We only need a five. And <laughs> this is the one we nail. We get an 11. Wasted roll. But hey. Any success works for me. It's true. You watch the eagerness fade from Bracker's face. You must do something to hold his attention. I'm commissioned by the Lord High Chamberlain himself in this matter. The police will be here in due course, and I'll question you too. This statement has the effect you desired. What can you tell me about Thomas McNeil? I'm given to understand that you're friends. Oh, not exactly friends, sir, but I know him better than most. Have you seen him, sir? Is he alright? No, I haven't. He's still under Dr. Care, I believe. Well, what do you know of him? Begging your pardon, sir, but he's not the most easy man to know. All tight and bound up inside he is. An Irishman, but loyal to the Queen, sir. Why do you say that, Bracker? He's always doing something special, sir. He was talking about you just yesterday. Said he was doing a great service for his country. He'd never tell me what, but he said he'd make his fortune by it. It's the most apostrophes I've ever seen uh -huh. in a paragraph. Not a single H. Not a single H. Anywhere there's an H is an apostrophe. It's beautiful. It really made it much harder to read. <laughs> I had to interpret it with the H's in and yeah. then do it backwards. It made what his accent is a lot clearer, but reading it, it a lot harder, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, check off clue D. If you question other members of the guard detail, turn to 479. If you've not checked decision four and leave to seek out the guard officer, turn to 317. I mean, we should probably ask, right? Talk to other members of the guard detail before leaving. I like that. Yeah. Especially because it's so close by. It's one of the only actual choices so far. You decide to see if any others in the guard detail might know something. As you enter the guard room, one of the other soldiers is leaving with his gear. He seems to be in a hurry. If you stop him, 400. If you let him go and concentrate on the others, 370. Arrest that man. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> He's <think> leaving. <laughs> Kill him. <dude. laughs> Fleeing a crime scene. Off with his head. I, I do we think. Didn't even, we don't even know if his victim is dead yet. <laughs> Kill him. Uh, we must kill him to save the other. It's final destination. I did blood watch for the, blood. I did watch the video. Uh, if you stop him, turn <laughs> to four hundred. I I think we should right because yes, stop absolutely. stopping him. If we don't stop him, or if we stop him, we should theoretically have the other option still too. But if we don't stop him, we probably are never getting that option again. Mm -hmm. Soldier, hold on there. You say in your best parade ground voice. The man stops. Yes, sir. He says somewhat sullenly. I want to ask you about last night. You continue. Where was your guard post, and what ship were you on? Sea watch, sir. He says hesitantly, and then continues almost defiant. I was the guard in the sentry box opposite Private McNeil. What could you tell me about last night, Private? You ask. Nothing to tell, sir. Cold it was, and wet. When the sergeant came round with the relief, they found poor Thomas, never near dead, rather, in his box. And you heard nothing. 
a man was terribly beaten and stabbed not a hundred feet from you. And you heard nothing. That's right, sir. He snaps. I heard nothing. I know you don't believe me, and neither does the captain, but you weren't out there in the wind and sleet last night. I was. What's your name, Private? You demand. Private Joseph McGill. He says. American, are you? Canadian, sir. Picking up Murnadger intuition. Canadian. Uh, need a seven, we get a seven. I rolled a six plus one. Canadian detected. <laughs> Just red zoom eyes. <laughs> Target in sight. Canadian detected. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian rating off the charts. Something does not ring true about McGill's attitude. His defiance seems calculated. He undoubtedly knows more than he's telling. So check off result C. Pick a number and add your intuition. Need another seven. And we get it. There we go. Mm. That failure was so we could succeed now. Three. I'm very keen to see this line because I have a lot of interest in the conspiracy that may exist Canadians. around the fortune. That yeah, Exactly. The, those pesky Canadians coming in here, stealing all our fortune, uh, being red herrings in the last story. True. <sighs> Where do they get off? Apologies. You have a lot of interest in uh, the what? <laughs> Oh, uh, in the conspiracy surrounding uh, the the fortune that the uh, the nearly dead man was supposing to make, one would assume he was not doing that alone, and other people may have wanted to silence him, or may want to, upon noticing an inspector, pack up all their gear and run away. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so three sixty eight. Yeah. You are certain there is more to this than McGill wants you to believe. He knows something, and it's something important. Check deduction one and turn to 152. You stare at McGill closely for a moment, and when he does not flinch, you realize he will say no more. You take your leave of him. If you continue to question the other guards, 296. If you see Sherlock Holmes, 247. 296. The, the, we've got to get, hey, what do you think about McGill? Did McGill ever speak to these other people? That kind of information. Yar. You continue into the room, hoping they have enough time to finish before they're called away for the changing of the guard. Turn to 370. You enter the room addressing the remaining soldiers. Men? You begin. I've been appointed by the Chamberlain to investigate last night's incident. I want to ask you a few questions. Does anyone know anything about Thomas McNeil's private life? Pick a number and add your communication. We need a seven... We get a uh, nine. Hey, if we have to ditch one roll at the start of the book so we succeed yep. all of the rest of them. Rolling heat now. Two of the other men turn to look at the third. He shuffles his feet for a moment before replying. McNeil has a woman, sir. Sally Barnes. He works at the county cook. He's in Spitalfields in the East End. <laughs> Anything else? You ask. The man shakes his head and shuffles his feet. Check off result D. If you do not go to Sally Barnes, check Decision 5 and turn to 193. If you do go to the East End to see Sally Barnes, check off Decision 6, go to 288. I mean, uh, he might have told her something about his plans to come up big in the future. Yeah. I, I think it's probably worth seeing him. Yeah. Yeah. I could go either way. So since you have a, a feeling, I think we go to do it. So that's two, mm -hmm. 288. 
I think so far the fact that we've already caught wind of the fact that he thought he was you know getting rich on some scheme uh makes it feel like he doesn't have especially tight lips and also his main personal interactions appear to have been off base so I wonder if he would have told her much more information than we'll get from the guy could be could be could be you decide not to ignore the chance that the woman Sally Barnes might know something crucial to the success of your investigation Thanking the soldiers, you take your leave of Buckingham Palace just as the ceremony is about to begin. Slipping out through a side gate, you glance at the soldiers on the parade as they stand stiffly at attention. You see the guard captain marching back and forth, and something about him catches your eye. He holds his saber by the blade rather than the hilt. The sight jogs an old memory, but you do not have time to wait for it to surface. There's no underground stations close to Buckingham Palace. The parade has snarled has snarled traffic so you walk down the mall in the direction of the trafalgar square before going very far you hear the clatter of the carriage behind you you turn to find an empty hansom and hailing it you give the driver the address he seems doubtful for a moment and then shrugs and whips the horse your route takes you on down the mall under admiralty arch and into trafalgar square <laughs> uh, real place from there, you drive down the Strand, past Charing Cross Station, and onto Fleet Street, past St. Paul's Cathedral. And from there, the carriage travels up Victoria Street to Bishopsgate and into Spitalfields. Wow, thanks, Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> Along the way, the buildings have changed from the posh elegance of the Strand Pal Palace Hotel to the decay and squalor of the East End. <laughs> the people have changed as well. The well-dressed civilians civil servants emerging from the Northumberland Avenue and the fashionable young women wheeling prams and feeding pigeons in Trafalgar Square give way to aimless ragged loungers. <laughs> and, uh, okay. Uh, your handsome pulls up in front of a seedy pub along a narrow winding street. The sign in front of the s so weather-beaten the sign in the front is so weather-beaten that it is now illegible. You tell your driver to wait and go inside. The light is dim inside the country cork, and there's few customers so early in the day. Though, with money to spend, uh, are at spend are at work, and those without cannot afford the price of a drink. Hello! You say to a middle-aged, heavy-set woman who has emerged from the storeroom. Ah, oh, sure, and you'll be asking me for a drink when I got my hands full. She says. Well, you'll have to wait. Then she catches sight of you and then stops. What do you want? No, it's not a drink. Not for the likes of you. I'm attempting to locate Sally Barnes. You say. Pick an number and add your communication bonus. Need only a six. And get only a six. That is a five plus one. Sally Barnes located. Sally Barnes? What would a fine man like yourself be wanting with Sally? You start to answer, but she cuts you off. No matter. She says. Sure and I don't want to know. She's trouble, that one. Told Teddy that all along. Told him all. She tails off into a mutter and then jerks her eyes back to you as if she's forgotten you were there. Sally's upstairs for all the good of the glue, yeah? Over there. She nods towards the stairs at the end of the room. First door on your right at the very top. You climb the stairs, find the door, and knock. Helen? Calls a voice from behind the door. Is that you? It's a rich and melodious voice. You begin to wonder what Sally looks like. It's not Helen. You say? I'm Richard Huntington, and I must speak with you regarding a confidential matter, Miss Barnes. Could you open the door and please come out for a moment? 
The door opens. You see a woman's figure standing silhouetted in the light from the open window at the other end of the room. Then your eyes adjust and you see her face. She's a young woman, no more than 20, with rather plain, with rather plain features except for her hair, which is gold and worn in heavy coils upon her head. She looks piercingly at you for a moment and then opens the door wide. Come in, Mr. Huntington, she says. You wouldn't take offense if I leave the door open, would you? Not at all. Not at all. I see your decree that makes it illegal for me to be offended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you reply with what you hope is a disarming smile. Then you allow your manner to become more serious. I'm here on a very delicate matter, Miss Barnes. I'd like to ask you some questions about a gentleman of your acquaintance, a soldier named Thomas Neal. A gentleman? She says with a small laugh, shaking her head. I doubt he's been called that before, but I do know him. Go on. Is he causing some sort of trouble? I don't believe he's accused of anything, Miss Barnes. You temporize? I'd just like to know something of the man. Does he have friends? Uh, what are his habits? Where does he go when he's not in the barracks? Are you with the police, Mr. Huntington? She asks. No. You reply? I'm not, Miss Barnes. But it wouldn't be surprising to me if the police came to ask the same questions in a day or two. Can you not tell me why you're asking these questions? Listening to her, you begin to wonder what a woman of what a woman like this is doing with these squalid surroundings. I'm sorry, Miss Barnes. You say. But I'm not permitted to tell you at the moment. Will you answer my questions? She shrugs. I suppose it can do no harm. What do you wish to know? Did he behave strangely of late? Funny you should ask, she says thoughtfully. He said another week would see his fortune made. She looks defiantly at you. He wanted to marry me. You nod understandingly. Did he say where he intended to get the money? No, he did not, Mr. Huntington. And since I didn't think he was serious, I didn't ask him. You continue to ask questions, but it's obvious that the woman will be of little assistance. She deserves better than this. You think? Do not think I am here in Spitalfields by some unfortunate incident, Mr. Huntington. She continues. I belong here. I am one of them. No matter how much you may believe otherwise. She declares, a steely tone creeping into her voice. This is my lot. I've chosen it, and it's chosen me. We're a match. Now please leave. You find the small hairs on the back of your neck have arisen, and you are, on and are only too glad to obey. You have the uncomfortable feeling that the old woman behind the bar was right. Check off clue E and pick a number. Whoa! Pick a number. Add nothing. Need an mm -hmm. 11 and it needs an or 11 or 12. 12 to pull out of the ether some useful. Let's uh well start off with the first die. All right, let's uh let's do the second one. That is a total of 3. Mm, okay, close. Close. But no cigar. <laughs> close. Close, close in that they are both numbers. <laughs> close in that if I put the one and then the two, it would be 12. Are we certain? All right. I'll meet you on the page for 12 then. Yeah. yeah let's go to 481. All right. You've exhausted all the possible sources of information here, and so you decide to leave. If you wish to visit the scene of the crime and have not checked decision one, turn to 452. Otherwise, you decide to visit Sherlock Holmes, turn to 206. Uh, we have checked decision one. That was, of course, checking the scene first, so we've got to go talk to Sherlock. Which means there is a person that we did not get the opportunity to talk to. The officer of the guard, yes. Interesting, interesting. 
directly noted that we may indeed be limited by time on some things. Your handsome pulls up in front of 221. Not B. I, sorry. I, I'm a little bit of a, a Sherlock head at this point. Mm-hmm. 221. I believe the uh, the plot location for 221A and 221B would be the same, just upstairs and downstairs. You're right. But I feel like I always... I've always read 221B Baker Street. I know because it's awkward. Mm-hmm. 221B Baker Street. Pulls up in front of 221 Baker Street. You... Streak? You dismount, pay the driver, and walk up to the front door. As you're about to ring the bell, the door flies open and a ragged urchin races out carrying a fistful of rolls. In hot pursuit is an older woman waving a broom, shouting for the boy to stop. Hello, Miss Hudson. You say? Mrs. Ha- Mr. Huntington. She gasps somewhat out of breath as she tucks a wisp of gray hair back into the bottom of her head. <sighs> Did you not see that ragamuffin carrying off a good part of Mr. Holmes' dinner? Could you not at least try to slow him down? Her tone is one of exasperation. Mrs. Hudson, you reply. What would you have done with the youngster if you even caught him? Certainly, you would not have served Mr. Holmes the rolls you took from the boy. I let him go as an act of kindness to you both. Ah, you're beginning to sound just like Mr. Holmes. I would have served him the boy. <laughs> <laughs> she sniffs. And I do not mean that as a compliment. What is it you want, Mr. Huntington? To see Mr. Holmes, of course. Quite impossible, Mr. Huntington. Mr. Holmes is ill and cannot be disturbed. What? You exclaim, your heart sinking. He's been working much too hard, Mr. Huntington. I've summoned the doctor. I hope you will not upset him. Mrs. Hudson! You sputter. I have no intention of upsetting that fellow. I saw the determined way you walked to my door, Mr. Huntington. I was watching from the window. This is how that young rapscallion managed to filch my freshly baked bread. Well, filch my bread wonderful you think now she's blaming me for the theft of the bread i have learned a little of mr holmes's methods over the years she continues he's used them to catch me out often enough you're here with a problem and you wish for mr holmes's assistance i shan't let you in you know you have little chance of solving the case without holmes's help but first you must get by the guardian at the gate pick a number and add your communication bonus we need an eight come on Failure into success. That's a five. That's a great start. Mm-hmm. And that's a three. Which is That'll do it. It's an eight already. So eight plus one, 291. You decide that a head-on approach has the best chance of working. Mrs. Hudson. You begin firmly. I appreciate your concern for Mr. Holmes's welfare. His health is of concern to me as well. However, it's not your place to decide whom Mr. Holmes shall see and whom he shall not. Kindly allow me to enter. Your forthrightness works. You've wounded her and are sorry for that, but you cannot allow her to impede on your mission. Turn to 347. How do we wound her? It's okay. We can show her the writ. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed to be offended. The queen said so. (laughs) The queen says I can be as mean as I want. (laughs) Uh... Walking down the hall, you meet Dr. Watson on the stairs. I was just coming to see what all the commotion was about. He declares... Hello, Richard. How are you? I'm well, Dr. Watson. You reply. My Uncle Gerard sends his best regards. Sorry for the disturbance, but Miss Hudson was barring the door like a lion. I see she's taken what I said a little too seriously. 
I shall have a word with her directly. Please convey my regards to your uncle when you see him. How is his leg? Quite well, Dr. Watson. He walks to the post office and back every now and then. He asked me to tell you that he would be ready for that walk in Surrey you promised him in the spring. Oh, delightful. I look forward to it. In the meantime, I suppose you're here to see Holmes. Yes, I am. Turn to 171. As you climb the stairs behind Dr. Watson, he pauses for a moment at the top and then says, Mrs. Hudson was right about one thing, Richard. Holmes's health is not good at the moment. I trust you won't ask too much of him. Of course, Dr. Watson. You reply? You can rely on me. You enter Holmes's sitting room to find him in his dressing gown stretched upon the settee. You have never seen him so thin. The sharpness of his features is dramatic, and the skin in his skin is pale, as if he's been inside for a long time. Hey, mood. His hooded eyes seem recessed even further into his skull. Hey! <laughs> Mr. Holmes. You say, walking over to the settee to shake his hand. I hope my visit isn't inconvenient. Not at all, Richard. He replies, standing to take your hand. I am not quite the invalid Dr. Watson would have you believe. In fact, I am not ill at all. I am simply preparing myself for what's to come. Disgraceful, mutters Dr. Watson. Your body just can't take much more of this abuse, Holmes. You must attend to your physical needs as well as your mental. You are quite right, Doctor. Holmes agrees. That is why I permit this attention. About time, too. Dr. Watson continues unabated. How a man of your age and intelligence could allow himself to become so weak is beyond me. It's a good thing Mrs. Hudson called me when she did. Then he looks sharply at Holmes. She also told me that one of your irregulars crept in here just to see you. Is that true? True enough, Watson. He brought me vital information. But enough about that. I believe Richard has come with a problem of his own, and he's come from the Queen, so perhaps we should listen to him. You feel as though the floor has just fallen out from under you. You sink down in a chair and pass a hand across your forehead in consternation. Is it in the newspapers, then? Oh, someone must have talked. I suppose someone always does. Put your mind at ease, Richard. Says Holmes. There's nothing about your case in the newspapers. My body may need bending, but there's nothing wrong with my eyes. You can't have deduced my mission. You say hotly. There's no way you could have known! On the contrary, Richard, it was child's play. Observed Holmes with a knowing look. It was partly observation and partly deduction. Really, Holmes, you must explain yourself. Dr. Watson exclaims. I cannot see how you possibly could have known this time. Holmes favors you both with a self-satisfied smile and continues. If you will be so good as to look at Richard's shoes, you will see part of the answer, my dear Watson. Caught between the sole and the upper part of the right shoe are two pebbles. Lying on the settee, I was in a better position to see them. The pebbles are a type of imported rose quartz found only in the gardens along the mall and in the courtyards of Buckingham Palace. You look at your shoe. There's two pebbles wedged tightly into the seam. You look up. I see the pebbles, Mr. Holmes, but how did you, re how did you deduce the rest? Do you remember what you did when you entered the room? You came and bent down to shake my hand, attempting to safeguard the invalid from himself. As you did... Your coat fell open, and I saw a piece of parchment in the breast pocket. The parchment had a faint purple tint to it. That shade of parchment is made exclusively for Queen Victoria. I deduce that you would have not uh, would not have been to Buckingham Palace unless you'd been summoned for a serious reason. Forgive me, Richard, but your family is not prominent enough to frequent the palace. 
<laughs> no offense taken. It's true enough, I suppose. It was a simple matter to deduce the rest. Child's play, as I said. Holmes concludes and returns to the seat on the settee. Now, how may I be of help? Quickly, you relate the incident, summarize the results of your investigation, and ask for his advice. Before I can advise you, he replies, I must ask several questions. First, what did you find at the scene of the crime? If you've not checked decision 1, turn to 233, you've checked B, 199, otherwise 492, 429. We have checked B, so let's head to 199. That is the paper scrap, the triangular paper scrap that is blank that we found in the site itself. The Dorito. All right, 199. I found this caught between the floor and the baseboard. You hand Holmes the parchment corner that you found. Queen's stationery, Holmes says thoughtfully. A singular piece of evidence, unfortunately, as it has nothing written on us, it can tell us little. Holds it up to his mouth. Cool ranch. <laughs> Sorry, cool American? Is that what they call it? <laughs> there? Is that right? I know in America this is referred to as cool ranch. We serve this, of course, under the name... Hot, sweet, and sour, spicy American times. <laughs> but this, this is yet to be imported. So you're looking for an American, or possibly someone slightly north of that border. Hmm. <laughs> what country borders America to the north? Let me go to my map. <laughs> uh, cool Canadian. It's just ketchup. That's, that's ketchup. It's a ketchup chip. Yeah, uh, ketchup season chips are apparently popping off there. I mean, they're good. I've had them. They're good. Thumbs I've had up. them as well, but I thought they were a novelty. <laughs> I I've had I've had two that I thought were not good. Yeah, the mm -hmm. best. Okay, I will say the best ketchup, and this is probably heinous for Canadians. Of the three that I've had, which were probably not the best ones, of the three that I had, the best ketchup chip I had was the Pringles ketchup chip, and I was very surprised oh, wow. by that. I was very surprised by that. So, but again, probably I, I don't know that the three I had were like top tiers, but the Pringles ketchup chips are actually surprisingly good. Should I encounter one? I will try <laughs> yeah, and good pursue luck. this for myself. Yes. Uh, one fifty. Was there anything you noticed that was out of place, out of the ordinary? Says Holmes. If you've checked clue C, turn to one hundred three. Otherwise, one sixty-eight. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> I saw nothing untoward, Mr. Holmes. You answer. In fact, I would have preferred to bring the seal here for you to examine, but the Chamberlain wouldn't allow it. In fact, it would have been pointless, as he cleaned it before returning it to the Queen. That is unfortunate, admits Holmes. Did you learn anything by questioning the other soldiers? Asks Dr. Watson. If you've checked off clue D, turn to 389, otherwise 313. Interestingly, we did che uh, check off clue D. I guess we are being asked, did you learn anything by questioning the other soldiers? Clue D and E both appear to be exactly the same clue. It's that he said he was going to get rich soon. Okay. So I wonder if we could have gotten that clue still by talking to a different person and then still pursuing the Sally Barnes lead. Yeah. Oh, uh, 389? Yar. No, but where is... Yes. It's 389? This shouldn't be it. I mean, oh, never mind. I I skipped over exactly one sentence, and it completely changed the context. 
The victim, McNeil, seemed to be a fine, upstanding soldier. I read up until that point. One of the more remarkable things I learned was that he was engaged in some confidential undertaking, something he believed was to be of great service to the country. Holmes that says, I skimmed. Yeah. <laughs> Holmes says nothing, but looks thoughtful and strokes his chin. Turn to 478. See, I think he was duped. I think he thought that you know, someone came to him and said, the queen has a special mission for you, and set him up to do a bunch of stuff. Uh, and then killed him uh, to prevent it getting out. But at no point was he doing anything for the Queen. He was just being manipulated. Mm. Mm. You just wire transfer me $2,000, then I will <laughs> I buy my plane I have a mission ticket. for you from the Queen. The Queen needs you to go into your local supermarket and or any air... Frankly, gas stations would work and buy $100 iTunes gift cards, and then you need to mail them to my address, the Queen's address at Old Road in Kent. Yeah, it's just, she's trying to catch up on Lost in this year. <laughs> released special with the iPod video. Did you know that, mm -hmm. Lo that Lost was the- I did. Yeah, it's like one of the, oh wait, you would know now too. Yeah, because of the, the anyways. Shout out. No, but I, I was also in I do that, that anyways, time yeah. trying to get video on my iPod video. Yeah. And it, it, I remember the golden age of uh, vodcasts happened there as well as people learned they could release a podcast and get it abnormally to the top of the rankings if it just had a video element. Yeah. But oh, I don't know. I just, it's just, I have such a clear visual of the like lost promo art. Mm hmm. And at like an apple presentation it's just is it the ipod videos and lost are just intrinsically linked in my head <laughs> yep the same error 478 did we read this did any of the other soldiers come forward with anything useful holmes asks if you've checked results c 348 otherwise 325 we have not result c gosh so they're doing the thing where clues are A, B, C, and D, and results are also A, B, C, and uh. D. We have checked result C. That is McGill's oh. Defiance. Oh, okay. So we'll be on 348. One of the soldiers was actually in a great hurry to leave as I entered the guardroom. You answer. If you've checked deduction 1, turn to 391, otherwise 276. We, did, we right? have, and deduction 1 is that McGill knows something. What that man he knows. I stopped him and learned he was a sentry opposite McNeil at the time of the assault. He claims to have seen and heard nothing, but he seemed quite nervous. I suspect he knows more than he's saying. I'll have to question him again. Very good, Richard. Says Holmes, turn to 141. Were you able to make anything out from the other guards in the guardroom? Asks Holmes. If you've checked result D, turn to 238, otherwise 438. Uh, uh, we have. This is that McNeil had a woman. This is Sally Barr. 238. As a matter of fact, I learned that McNeil had a lady friend, one Sally Barnes, who lives in Spitalfield. And what did you do with that information? Asks Holmes. If you've checked decision 5, turn to 470, otherwise 283. That must be us going, right? I have to assume so, but I didn't mark down decision 5 at the time. I'm <laughs> juggling a lot of lists, so uh, I think... Uh, if, <laughs> if we go to that page and it says a thing we didn't do, I'll know not. The no. It says I did not pursue it. So uh, so 280, 283. Correct. Yeah. We 
We this is one of the weird situations where it's the otherwise. Two eighty-three. Let me hop across there. I found her in Spitalfields, Mister Holmes. You say? She lives in a room above the pub. She was one of the strangest women I've ever met. She's of some standing, though I can't really understand what she's doing in Spitalfields. I was thinking of offering to help her, but she warned me against it. She warned you? Asks Holmes. As if she was there by choice. She left me in no doubt of that. Her warning chilled my blood, I can tell you. Most intriguing. Says Holmes. What do you think, Watson, the fairer sex is your department after all? Oh, enough of that, Holmes, snorts Dr. Watson. You'll give Richard here the wrong impression. But to answer your question more seriously, depravity is not entirely the province of the male. It could be very well she knows herself or she is and has exiled herself from polite company for a reason. But do go on, Richard. Did she tell you anything else of import? If you've checked clue E, turn to 178, otherwise 433. Yes, Louis. that is the fortune in a week. Gotcha. Bluey. Yeah, there was one other thing, actually. She told me McNeil had asked her to marry him. He said he'd make his fortune in another week. I must confess, I don't know what the he meant. It might not even be significant. I say, Holmes, that is a singular piece of information. Observes Dr. Watson. What do you think he meant? I believe he meant no good. Watson. Says Holmes. But before saying, I would like to ask another question. Turn to 332. Why have you not solved it yet? I, I've already... See, the, uh, the dirt on their forearm actually tells you that... That dirt is only found on the moon. And as we know from the <laughs> Apollo schedule, there was one Richard Gartinger was flying the plane at that point in time. This is, of course, when they were using planes to do the Apollo missions. Yep, yep, yep. And Richard Gartinger... <laughs> was getting blackmailed by Colin Farrell, the actor. Oh. And <laughs> if you follow the money, you will see where it is. Is it on 3.32? It is on 3.32. Richard, what have you learned from Miss Barnes that may provide the motive for murder? Sorry, what you learned from Miss Barnes may provide the motive for murder. But first, tell me what you learned from the guard officer. If you check decision 9, turn to 208, otherwise 4.56... Sweats bullets. Uh, we didn't talk to the officer of the guard. So, what is the other page for us, sorry? Sorry, 456. I was unable to see the captain at the palace as he was involved in changing the guard. Perhaps I'll have a chance to see him later. At the moment, I decided the best things would be to come here. There you have it, Mr. Holmes. You conclude? What do you think? Turn to 245. Holmes contemplates your report for a moment. If you've checked either clue B or C, and either clue E, F, or G, turn to 366. Doesn't rhyme. Turn it or tune to 294. We have, yeah? We have indeed. We've specifically only checked B and E of those. Mm. So we do qualify, but with the least amount of available material. I feel like it's probably a least amount of av available material, like, no matter what. Is my guess. Yeah, exactly. If we talked to different people in different orders, we would have gotten other ones that would comprise still a least amount of available material solution. 366. Sherlock Holmes remains silent for a moment, then turns to Dr. Watson and says, Well, what do you think, Watson? Why was the guard attacked? Very well, Holmes. I shall roast your bait. I'm in complete agreement with Richard on one issue, 
I don't believe robbery was the motive of the attack. The fact that McNeil is an Irish name and that he belonged to the Irish Guards suggests nothing in itself, but when viewed in the larger context, it might suggest the activities of one of the Irish gangs of terrorists. I believe it is somehow connected to them. Perhaps they attacked him because he was unwilling to give in to their demands. Very well said, Watson. Applauds Holmes. However, I believe your conclusion is incorrect. How so? Demands Dr. Watson, a trifle indignant. This case may involve the Dynamiters, <gasps> but that'd be a rerun, and I believe it revolves around blackmail instead. <laughs> Money is central to the crime. McNeil was blackmailing someone, I contend, and in all likelihood, someone at Buckingham Palace. His demands evidently became more than his victim could bear, and McNeil may die for it. And what is... Wrong person. <laughs> then, then what is your advice, Mr. Holmes? You ask. I must confess the thought of blackmail did enter my mind, but I dismissed it because of the other aspects of the case. I believe you have exhausted the possibilities within the guard detail for the present. Comments Holmes, standing to pace as he is wont to do when deep in thoughts. Perhaps you should count. Uh, perhaps you should now go to the other end of the puzzle and identify those with opportunity. He concludes. Buckingham Palace is continues. well guarded. Oh my lord! <laughs> <laughs> there is no concluding in this book. It's just continuation. <laughs> Buckingham Gal uh, Palace is well guarded inside and out. No one can move around without being noticed. Check the comings and goings at that hour. Who had access to the guards? Who might have been a candidate for blackmail? I see. You reply. That presents me with a whole new area of investigation. I'll pursue it immediately. May I come to you again? Of course, Richard. Holmes agrees. But I shall be leaving soon myself. No, no, Doctor, don't trouble yourself. Holmes raises a hand to quell Dr. Watson's gathering protest. I know what I'm doing. This last month have been sort of a purification process, not unlike the ceremonies some American Indians undergo before going into battle. I shall certainly need all of my faculties for this game of wits. It'll take a superior hound to run this fox to earth. Heaven's name are you even talking about, Holmes? Demands Dr. Watson indignantly. And what's all this about purification? You may deplore my methods, Doctor. Holmes chides. But you must admit they've been effective. I face the greatest test of my life. You shall know all about it in due course. Then he straightens and turns back to you. But we are delaying Richard from his duties. Don't let us keep you, Richard. You rise from your chair and thanking them both... You take your leave. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. If 2 to 6, 7 to 12, it's a blop. Ooh, 7 to 12, 185. Yeah, that is a, it's a good blop. It's a, it's a 10. It reminds me of what I do when a, a, a video game had, like, they, it's the early part of the game and they put, like, the buttons in the text boxes. Yeah. Where it's like, ah, hero, you need to jump by pressing the, a button i always i i can't i try and like i fill it with a prop or a blip because it's just it feels less world breaking yeah than them it does it, it feels like in the world you should hear static when a character says something yeah. like that like what i can't perceive this <laughs> static and then like there's a faint uh 20 opacity overlay of like their eyes face up close in the camera like covering the screen with mm -hmm. high contrast Bay button it's just like it, <laughs> their nose starts bleeding 
<laughs> when they say A button. Because <laughs> they are directly communing with an alternate yeah. universe. In fact, a universe that contains the entirety of that. And, and they're usually they're usually talking to another character in their universe as though they are the person that's in control of said character too, which is just like, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's concerning. Anyways, 185. Uh, returning to the palace in the gathering twilight, you find your way to the guard room and ask for the sergeant of the guard. He's in his office and stands when you enter. Since the palace guard duties are now being conducted by another regiment, the man is a stranger. Concerned that you may have to use the writ the queen gave you that says you cannot be mad at me, the law says so, you introduce yourself. Thought it might be you, sir. The sergeant declares in response to your name. The officer of the guard had a meeting with the Lord High Chamberlain and he told me to offer you any assistance you might need. How can I help you? Thank you, sergeant. You reply gratefully. Tell me, are there logs kept which record who might enter and leave the palace after hours? Yes, sir, there are. Might I see them? Uh, particularly for the log the late last night. I'd like to see who entered between the hours of midnight and dawn. Certainly, sir. He reaches behind him and takes out a log book. This is yesterday's book for the back gate. The one for the front gate should be around here somewhere. Anyone entering the courtyard would pass through that front gate. He begins to rummage through his desk. After some determined searching, he turns back to you. This is very peculiar, sir, but that log was not here, or rather was here, not two hours ago, I saw it myself. You feel the thrill of the chase. You've caught the first scent of your quarry. I suppose I can always question the opposite court guard and get the information. You say? In the meantime, I shall get what I need from the log for the rear gate. You open the book and glance inside. The entries are arranged chronologically and list the time of entry, the name of the visitor, whom he or she represents, the nature of their business, and the time for departure. Scanning down the columns, you see that a parliamentary messenger arrived at, to see the Queen at 2 o'clock, stayed until 9 o'clock, and then left. There were also deliveries from the three merchants, a James Holston of Holston and & Sons and on the Strand, a William Turpin of Reginald Ware, the silversmiths of Piccadilly Street, and an Andrew Larson of Larson and Trembley, meat packers at Covenant Garden, Esquire. <laughs> you notice that the two of them at the establishments are located close to one another in a fashionable district near the Charing Cross Station, while the other's not far off of Piccadilly Circus. Check clue J, and then, if you question the parliamentary messenger, turn to 297. If you question the merchants, turn to 417. Otherwise, if you go to Wellington Barracks to question the front gate guard, turn to 464. Hmm. Woof. Well. Well. That well. is a lot of different options. There were deliveries from three merchants. I'm not going to list them. But there was also the parliamentary messenger. And then there's the possibility of cross-referencing a list that we can't see yet with uh, information that is provided by the other guard. So I think probably the first thing that we need to uh, go down is noting that the log has gone missing and assuming the possibility that there is some malfeasance occurring here, that it's being misplaced intentionally in order to prevent uh, interrogation, yeah. uh, that that would tend to suggest that trying to follow that line by questioning the front gate guard would be most useful here. I think the other two are, do you think this is politically motivated? Talk to the parliamentary messenger. Do you think it's financially motivated? Talk to the merchants, which is a long bow to draw 
But in that instance, were there not the third option, I would want to go to the merchants in order to track down the blackmail line. Correct. I would too. Uh, How do you feel about the barracks? Uh, I like it. I'm afraid that it takes us away from here. But, like, I think that they all kind of do. Mm-hmm. The, the way you phrase that makes it feel like that's the obvious choice to you and the other two are competing for second place. Only... Only because, uh, in the meantime, I should get what I need for the log of the rear gate. Yeah, only because it gives us the ability to seek the information that this specific passage has otherwise found obscured. Yeah. So to me, it's the most contiguous mentally. It makes sense to me, too. I'm down. 464. Cool. 464. And if we can circle back to one of the other two, we'll go for the merchants. You decide to find pros, pro, pros, <laughs> Private Joseph McGill, the opposite gate guard. You want to make certain you have the names of all the visitors who entered by the front door. You make your way to the barracks and ask for McGill. When he's brought before you, he seems nervous. Private McGill! You begin. Do you remember who came and went from the front gate of the palace last night? Yes, sir. He replies. It should all be in the log. I should like for you to tell me, though, all the same. You say. It was a bad night, sir. There were just not many. He says, somewhat defensively. Only the Prince of Wales and his party about one o'clock, and a bit later, Admiral Weathersby returning from the Admiralty. Do you know the names of Lord uh, Prince of Wales' friends, rather? Oh, yes, sir. It was a Lord Befford and Lord Sumter, and another I didn't know, a Mr. Eagleton. And when did they depart, Private? I don't know, sir. They were still there when I went off duty. You mean they spent the night in the palace? Yes, sir. Does that often happen? Not often, sir. Maybe once a month. Did they all come in together? No, sir. The prince arrived first, and his coachman said his friends were following along directly. How long after did they arrive? Oh, no more than 15 minutes, sir. You notice that the man's nervousness has abated. Perhaps he had thought earlier that you were here to investigate his duty performance. You thank him and take your leave. Now you feel you have some of the pieces of the puzzle. It's time to see which ones fit together. Check off clue I. If you question the merchants... So our clue here is the delayed arrival of the Prince of Wales' friends. Or it's rather just the, the report from the... Yeah. Yes. Just question the merchants, Prince of Wales, Admiral Weathersley, and the Prince of Wales' friends are the four options mm. we have. I mean, I think we go to the merchants, right? I think that, yeah, that kind of goes we with saying. what we were, we were saying prior. Mm -hmm. I think also at some point we will be asked, like, do you have clue I? If so, then you can proceed to question these other leads. Yeah, I think so too. Oh my god. You decide that the merchants are a likely possibility. Royal contracts are very lucrative. McNeil could have been blackmailing one of them. If you question James Holston of Holston and Sons, mm -hmm. 242, William Turpin of Reginald Ware and Silversmiths, 392, Andrew Larson of Larson and Tremblay, turn to 352. Do you recall what James Holston did as a job? Mm. Has sons. Is this a trick question? Mm. Do you know the answer? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Uh, it's just the others are silversmiths and uh, meat packers. Tremblers. I mean, hey. We could go and find out. We could indeed. It's just, I, I wonder if meat packers feels like it's more of a... like. If you were going to blackmail someone, I imagine silversmiths would probably be high up there working with a lot of valuable material That's... that can be transported very discreetly and in smaller packages than, you know, a whole carcass. 
I I'm leaning towards uh the middle, the silversmiths. I like it. It just it feels more regal, like a more of a chance of being a regal dealing. Mm-hmm. The establishment of Reginald Ware Silversmiths of Piccadilly is very elegant. The black enameled facade of the white framed wielding wieldings what windows facing Piccadilly Street is a model of understated refinement. You enter the store and stand for a moment, shaking the light dusting of snow from your coat, and almost instantly a young man materializes at your side. May I help you, sir? He inquires. Uh, why, yes. You reply. I'm actually here to see about one of your employees, a William Turpin. His manner cools noticeably. Mr. Turpin is one of our artisans. He's away at the moment. May I be of assistance? Possibly. You say? Are you responsible for the fellow's conduct at Buckingham Palace this morning? Ah. The man hesitates, sensing the waters are rising above his head. May I ask why you wish to see Mr. Turpin? My name is Richard Huntington. I've been appointed by the Lord High Chamberlain to investigate a matter which occurred at the morning this palace. This morning, rather, at the palace. Your man may have been involved. The apprehen- apprehension <laughs> sleep deprivation is getting to me. <laughs> the apprehension you see in his eyes turns to true fear. I believe I just heard Mr. Turpin return, Mr. Huntington. He says hastily. If you would just wait here. He dashes into the back of the store. A moment later, another man comes through the swinging doors. He's taller than you and slender with thinning brown hair, a hooked nose, and hands with the longest fingers that you've ever seen. You want to see me? He asks tentatively. Mr. Smoller says you're here because of something I did in the palace this morning. I ain't done nothing wrong, sir. I swear I didn't. Didn't say you'd done anything wrong, Mr. Turpin. I only wanted to ask you some questions about this morning. Will you answer? I didn't stab him with a spear after bludgeoning him over the head with the seal. I never said anything of the sort. I stabbed him with scissors, I did. That's what I did. <laughs> These Not ones the right here. <laughs> Dripping blood still. <laughs> uh, same scissors I'll use to stab you in the gut, I will. Did another murder, I did. <laughs> well, uh, here I go murdering again. <laughs> Can hardly help myself. <laughs> Check decision 13, pick a number to add communication. Only needing a 7, but getting a 10. <gasps> for 40. For 40. Oh, yes, sir. Of course I will. I'll tell it to you just like it happened. Good. Now then, when did you arrive at Buckingham Palace? It was near dawn, sir. I haven't had a watch since we'd have passed about Big Ben 10 minutes ago. And it was near 5.30 then. Good. You said we. You had someone with you? That's true, sir. My son, Jack. He rode with me. And I had him sitting under the tarpaulin because it was all raining. I understand there was an altercation that morning? Guess you could say that. I pulled up behind Jimmy Alston and had my boy run inside with the two candlesticks for Lord Nevy. Jimmy came out and ordered me to leave so they could back something up. Ordered me. Like he was some country squire or something. Jimmy's bigger than me, but I ain't afeard of him. We just squared off if the guard showed up. <laughs> just when the guard showed up, rather. But then my boy'd come back and he got in the wagon, so we left. That's all there is to tell, sir. Turn to one thirty-five. I heard the tarpaulin bring attention. What was the original context for it? That's a great question. Oh, it's more just because it's a fun word, and it just reminded me. Right. Okay. It just reminded me of our bit more than anything. But that is an interesting note. What was it used for last time? 
I was so focused on tarpaulin and the, the absolutely 10 out of 10 bit we had. Mm. <laughs> I wonder if, like, because I, 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 I wonder if we might be uh, effectively striking off a red herring here mentally, which is if we found evidence under that tarpaulin uh, of a character moving in a suspicious manner, it's just a kid. Mm. We'll definitely keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. One thirty-five. You are convinced that a man is telling that that a man, the man, is telling the truth. His manner is one of an honest fellow. You thank and dismiss him, then thank the man you first spoke to, assuring him that William Turpin is blameless. Then you leave. Turn to two eighty-nine. All right. So the silversmith didn't do it. Hmm. Two thirty. 289. Oh my god, this page. <laughs> mm -hmm. You consider your course of action and if you've not checked decision 11, 242, if you've checked decision 11 but not 12, turn to 352. If 11 and 12 but not 13, 392. If you've checked 11, 12, and 13 but not 14, turn to 297, otherwise 395. So, what? This one would assume is going to give us the ability to go to each location as decision 13 was visiting the silversmith. So the first of these that we have not tripped is we've not checked decision 11. 242. Yes. To 242. To 242. I don't have that one in my book. <laughs> oh, you don't Shut have up. you don't have 10 of these books stacked on top of each other? <laughs> no, I only have 8. Oh, man. You find that Larson and Tremblay own a small butcher shop fronting on Co Covent Garden. It's located in a small white wooden frame building with the words Larson and Trembley Meat Packers in gilded letters on a small sign above the door. You open the door and go inside, and at the counter you ask for Andrew Larson, a large, beefy man. <laughs> I mean, why'd you get in the meatpacking industry? <clears throat> beef man. Large beef man turns from waiting on another customer and asks what you want. I'm here on a confidential matter. You say? May I speak with you outside for a moment? Check decision 11, pick a number, and add your communication. Needing a 7. Whoop. Getting a 10. Ooh, that'll handily do it. 128. Get wrecked, book. You didn't expect that, did you, book? Nerd. I'm gonna go to 128, and there's not even gonna be an entry. You didn't expect this. <laughs> yeah, they have like a 13 result on one of them. and like, eh, it's not gonna happen. Why even bother? 128. I've no time for this. He replies, turning back to his customer. Mr. Larson, you'll either speak to me or you'll speak to the police. You counter. How many of these respectable people will do business with you if they believe you're a criminal? Prove you have some authority to question me, and I'll cooperate. If you can't, leave now. You'll either speak to me or you have to deal with the police. Lifts up hands. <laughs> these are the police. <laughs> <laughs> These are the partners. This one's the good cop, this one's the bad cop. You hit him with the good cop. Wait, the good cop hits me? Yeah, imagine what the bad cop's gonna do. Talk up. 262. You decide to take a chance. Wait, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You take the writ the queen prepared you from your breast pocket and hand it to the butcher. The one that says, you can't be offended. He opens it casually, but then his eyes fasten on the signature and widen measurably. He refolds the writ and hands it back to you. All right, then. Where would you want to talk? Turtle 380. On, 380. On page 380. Yeah. <laughs> Same. 380. 
I'm investigating an incident that took place early this morning at Buckingham Palace at about the time that you were making a delivery. What can you tell me about that? Nothing. I pulled my wagon in beside the baker, Holston's. Now there is a dishonest man. You should be talking to him, not me. I intend to. You say? But please, go on. He and Bill Turpin almost came to blows. The guard had to separate him. What else? You say persistently? Nothing. He says flatly. After I unloaded my wagon, I left. Why did you say the baker was a dishonest man? You ask? He got his contract with Buckingham Palace by bribing one of the staff, that's why. Is he a violent man? No, not really. He's too soft to be violent. He's too much of that bread of his. He became bread. <laughs> they he say you're what, what you eat. And that's yeah. why I'm so beefy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'm beef and he's bread. He's doughy. <laughs> I'm beef. I'm beefy. He's doughy. Uh, I don't know what the silversmith would be, I guess. But I guess he doesn't have to yeah, worry about exactly. it because you don't eat it. <laughs> I guess you don't eat silver, so maybe that checks out. You ask more questions, but learn nothing more. Finally, dismiss the butcher and then leave. Turn to 289. So one assumes that he was uh, bribing the guard, right? That he was bribing yeah. the guard who we are looking into, who says his day is coming up. Now, one, it that. also says that one of the staff uh, or one of the guards had to separate them. I wonder if he or Bill Turpin, so that's Holston's, or Bill Turpin. No, but Bill Turpin we know is good. I wonder if Holston harmed the guard member before leaving? Mm. Mm, I don't know. It's just it puts are... them right next to the person that they would have the uh, reason to want to harm. Fortunately, we don't have to make an accusation yet, so mm -hmm. don't need to know. Uh, so back on 289, that's the one with all the have you checked decision 11 etc etc yes. uh, so, we have checked 11 but not 12 so we'll be turning to 352 which i imagine is going to be holston's bakery the establishment of holston and sons bakers on the strand is housed in a fine stony glass fronted three-story building three blocks from the trafalgar square and just one block from charing cross station the store smells of fresh baked bread making your mouth water oh no I'm it dead. actually worked it, oh. <laughs> reading that got me <laughs> No, I want bread. I love. Have you seen that commercial, uh, the Weight Watchers commercial featuring Oprah? <laughs> oh yeah, I love, love bread. bread. I love with bread. a T. There's a T at the end of bread somehow. Yeah, she goes. I love bread. I love bread, and I just like I, I think that when I think of bread, which happens a lot. So mm -hmm. thanks, Oprah. Um. Anyways. You ask for James Holston, and after a short wait, a man comes from the back, wiping his flower-covered hands on a white apron. Yes? His clipped voice contains a hint of a French accent. I am James Holston. I have no time for idle chat. Please tell me what you want. I have bread about to burn. Um, here to investigate a crime. Guilty of making the finest pastries in the land. <laughs> Can I get one? Mm. Can I get four? Yeah, ooh. Uh, here to investigate a crime, you say? I've been commissioned by the Lord High Chamberlain to bring back a couple of these bad boys, and I should also ask you a few questions while I'm here. <laughs> Check decision 12, pick a number, and add your communication. Once again, just needing a 7, getting a 4 plus 1, getting a 9. Yeehaw. 
The man does not hesitate. He dashes past you. What? The heck? He dashes past you into the street, running up the strand for a block and then turning up towards Covent Garden. You set off in hot pursuit. Pick a number and add your athletics. Needing an eight. Whoop. Getting a. We got a four on the first. So, <gasps> probably. Yep. Five. Uh, so that oh, it's going goodness. to be a ten. 384. Don't need to be Johnny Kerbstop for this one. You catch Holston just as he's about to enter the Warren of Covent Garden. The game's up, Mr. Holston. You say? You might as well confess. I have you now. Pick a number and add your intuition. Only needing a six. Only getting a six. <gasps> and whenever I say only needing a, it always, it's always a tie. <laughs> the universe says, are you, are you sure you want to, you want to test that? Mm-hmm. You want to insult that low six? We're going to make you fear for your life. 160. It's the rope for you, then. You say? The rope? For what? Your remark seems to have loosened his tongue. For murder, Mr. Holston. You reply. For using unlicensed flour? He seems genuinely frightened and confused. At the moment, you're also confused. Unlicensed flour? What are you saying, man? Is that why you ran? Yes, sir. Holston replies. Are you not of the customs office? No, I'm not. You say dejectedly. Does your flower have its passport? Does your flower have a, a, a permit to be in the country? I need papers for each grain. <laughs> it's just the paperwork. It's just so mind-numbing. That's why nobody does it. That's why, that's why there's no flower in uh, this country. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, no, I am not, you say dejectedly. If you turn him over to the police, turn to 126. If you leave, 136. Um, I don't, I don't like either of these options. Neither do I. I don't feel the need to turn him into the police because mm -hmm. who cares? Uh, exactly. But also, what if he's lying? What if he's just like, what if he's pulling a sick ruse on us? Yeah, I guess I don't. I, I guess I, I, I doubt it. I do too, but I'm not saying we should turn him over to the police regardless, but like, it feels like questioning him further might be an option rather than either of these two. Yeah. Especially because we know that he was blackmailing someone. Wait, hang on. We know that he was blackmailing some, well, I guess it's hearsay technically, but we know that he was, hearsay, we, hearsay that he was blackmailing someone, uh, and yet this is the crime that he thought that we were coming to talk to him about. I wonder if that's to try and intimate that he, uh, has more on his plate, perhaps, than we expected. So maybe we send him to prison for this, but hoping for a double, double whammy? That, that's strangely the way in which I'm I know I don't like it either but I think I am with you 100% that I I think that they offered this extremely like innocuous just like are you really gonna turn him over for unlicensed flower like they pick something ridiculous like or like that yep. that people would probably be like no why would I do that but then like maybe if he is in custody then maybe it'll stop something else bad from happening yeah like that like, I don't know. I think it'll I think it'll have a chain reaction in a way. I don't think he's the murderer off the top of my head. Like I don't get the gut vibe that he would be the murderer. But maybe. 
I don't know. I I'm, think I think we can we can uh, hang him out to dry and try and get more information out of him. Uh, One twenty-six. Sending him to the police. One twenty-six. Cuff him. Cuff him. Okay. <laughs> You find a patrolling constable and turn Holston over to him, explaining his behavior and your suspicions. Then you leave having wasted enough time here, turn to 289. Okay, oh, that doesn't feel like it was That right. did not go how I thought. <laughs> Especially because we didn't mark anything. But maybe it's good we didn't mark anything. Maybe, I don't know. I doubt it. That's, oh, I feel bad. I've never mm. wanted to, I've never wanted to undo something in one of these books so bad. Alas, he's in jail <laughs> for for flower crimes. It's it's the rope for him. <laughs> oh On no! Two eighty nine. We have checked decisions one. Uh, sorry, uh, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Being visiting each of those shops, but not fourteen, which will lead us to two ninety seven. Oops! <laughs> Just the fact that we didn't even mark something down after that has me feeling awful. To be fair, we didn't mark anything down after visiting the Butcher, the Baker, or the Silversmith Maker. So it's possible that there's no real outcome. This is this is just to give us a little bit of vibe information. Is this does this share its um structure with the book that was asking us, hey, if you suspect this, go to this page. If you suspect this, go to this page. Mm, no. Okay. You decide to oh. question question that wait 297 mm -hmm. the phrasing on what i'm about yeah. to say you decide to question the parliamentary messenger first <laughs> not true <laughs> it's most unlikely that anyone has chosen it anyone chosen as a messenger from the prime minister to queen victoria could be involved still it might be wise to ensure that the man was not an imposter it takes you an hour to locate the proper office but once you do a five-minute conversation is enough to eliminate the man from consideration he entered the palace and went directly to a waiting room where he waited in full view of a guard until the queen sent for him then he delivered his papers and he left check decision 14 and pick a number adding nothing uniquely this is a two to three or a four to twelve check it is so it is as likely to roll a two to three as it is to roll an 11 to 12 yeah and we're and we're adding nothing. All right, I'll tell you. First number mm -hmm. is a. Let's get him. Sorry to bury. I'm gonna bury the lead here. Let's. Ooh. <laughs> rolled a four. I I rolled a four, and then I rolled a one. So like you know, if that first roll was fine, then me, I don't know. It makes me wonder if this, because this is not since we're not adding anything. This could be one of those ones where it's like, one to quote unquote fail this one. You know, because yep, that's actually more impressive. Hence why they don't have you add any stats. You leave the parliamentary office. Turn to 464. Like, I don't, I'd almost even go to the point where, like, I bet you there's a chance that that's, like, a, a quick kill. A ch like, a path towards a quick kill. Mm-hmm. But either way. You notice one of the papers, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We rolled too well, so on to 464. Rolled too well, a.k.a. not a two or a three. Uh, you decide to find Private Joseph McGill, the opposite. Uh... Nope. This can't be the entry we're looking for because we've been here before. Yeah, but this is this is absolutely where they told us to go. 
I see. And if we just skip through this whole page and look at the bottom, there are people that we need to talk to still. This is the, do you question the merchants, the Prince of Wales, Admiral Weathersley, or the Prince of Wales friends? So what they should have done is obviously like had that little section on another page so we don't come here and be yeah, like, oh, so what we the don't hell? Have to revisit this one. But yeah, this is this is just the entire log that we get from Private Joseph McGill about the visitors to the front gate. Yeah. Uh, so we know we've questioned the merchants already, so we don't need to go to 417. Uh, I Te guess we haven't questioned any of the rest of these people. Correct. Technically, we could go... We have a mechanical loop to, to infinite check the... Um, the uh, oh, no, because technically we've marked 14 now, so never mind. Mm-hmm. Aw, oh, beans. We don't have an infinite. Uh, do we just go for Prince of Wales, or do you have a... Yeah, I guess we go for the Prince of Wales. That's the Prince of Wales. Large, <laughs> world's largest mammal. Oh. That's Prince a of mammal? Them. I don't know. Is whale mammal? I don't think it is. Is it? Yes, it is. What am I thinking? Damn. I, I should have been more confident. I was, in my, it was like, uh, yes, yes, of course it is. And then I'm like, wait, maybe I'm wrong. Is a big is a big mammal, world's largest mammal. This is important. It's the blue whale. I'm, a, I'm animal god. Hell yeah, animal god. The world's largest animal mammal is the blue whale. Absolute right. zoologist over here. Boom, 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 meow. Because it's an animal. Uh, you decide to see the Prince of Wales, hoping that he might shed some light on the investigation of what the biggest mammal is. You make your way to the Chamberlain's office and locate Sir Henry Lowe, his second secretary. You explain what you have learned and ask him to arrange an audience with Edward Albert, the Prince of Wales. Pick a number and add your communication. Only needing... We shouldn't say that. Only needing a seven. And only getting one, right? I, I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to send it to you. And you can be the stand-in for the audience that will think I'm lying. And you can also see my very tiny dice that I'm using. Mm-hmm. A travel set of dice. Would you please check your Discord DMs? <laughs> I can indeed, and I can confirm that the red of the two dice here has rolled a three. The black of the two dice here has also rolled a three. That plus one on our communications bonus gets us to a total of only seven. Only needing a seven, only getting a seven. Ready to. Also, I guess you can't tell how small those dice are from that picture. There's no perspective. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no no! It, the the ratio between the pips and the side True. of the dice does tell me that these are travel die effectively. Yeah, they're they're dice from uh from a board game in which you have a die bag with like forty dice in them. Mm -hmm. And I like it because then I can pick two fun colors. Anyways, two eighty two. In less than an hour, Sir Henry returns and escorts you through the halls of Buckingham Palace to your appointment. You find your knees a little weak at the prospect of meeting your future sovereign. You walk down a corridor and pass a magnificent white marble staircase, noting guards standing at intervals up the stairs. You continue past several state apartments where visitors to the palace are housed and see that several of the doors are open. The apartments unoccupied at present. Looking in, you see paintings of famous people who have visited the queen and gifts they left behind. You follow Sir Henry into the pillar room, perhaps the most famous of the state apartments, and find Prince Edward sitting at the settee. He bowed deeply, saying, Your Royal Highness, thank you for seeing me. I shall keep my questions brief. The Prince of Wales is not a tall man. He's a big whale. But he cuts an imposing figure. 
His full beard is streaked with gray, but his vitality appears undiminished. You've heard tales, after all, who is not, who has not, but there's an honesty in his eyes that you find yourself responding to. He smiles and says, (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Huntington, there's no need for that. Take as much time as you need. I wish to have this matter resolved quickly, as does Her Majesty the Queen. Perhaps even more. He adds somberly. As I understand, you wish to know about my friends. Please ask me what you wish to know. Pick a number and add your communication. We need a six. We get a nine. One twenty-four. When you finish, he looks at you for a long moment before replying. I'm sorry, Mr. Huntington, but I can't help you very much. I can, however, assure you my friends could not have done anything about that crime. You said something about a guard on the stairs. That reminded me of the hallway guards who were not present during the day, but are on duty at night. There's no way any of my inebriated friends could have gotten past them in the condition they were in. I give you my word that they didn't do anything with the assault on the gate guard. Check clue K. Okay. That his friends could not have. Okay, so that marks off. They were too drunk to commit an assault. Yeah, famously a good defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Would a drunk person crash a car? <laughs> Drink driving? That'd be so passe for a drunk person to do. <laughs> so obvious. <laughs> now a grand heist. Yes, yes. A Mr. Bean style heist. <laughs> yes. Entirely accidental. Full Magoo. <laughs> 265. You decide to question Admiral Sir George Weathersley. The Admiral is related to the Queen and has lived in the palace since the death of his wife ten years ago. You can see it in his wrinkles. Though he ranks as an Admiral, he never has gone to sea. Instead, it is his duty to communicate the needs of the Admiralty to the recalcitrant Parliament. He has achieved his rank by dint of hard work. He has lived quietly and simply and is known to work long hours, particularly when Parliament is in session as it is now. Pick a number, add nothing. Needing a seven. Five. That's a nope. That's a nope. But maybe since we're not adding anything, it's good. Who knows? Sorry, that was 353. You learn from the palace staff that Admiral Weathersley is still at the Admiralty. Admiralty. (laughs) He's not expected back until late tonight. If you go to see him for a one, if you await his return, 457. Uh, I mean... Let's go talk to him. Yeah, going to him seems good. I do wonder if for some reason there'd be something here we'd learn in the meantime, but I think I want to go 401. Too much time has already passed. You can't afford to waste any more awaiting Admiral Weathersley return. You have just a little under 30 hours remaining to solve the case before Chamberlain summons the police. Lifts up hands. Assuming that McNeil does not die in the meantime. You leave the palace and walk down the mall towards the Admiralty in the darkness. The rain has almost stopped, and the rising temperatures give promise to heavy fog later in the evening. The street lamps seem to be enclosed in globes of golden light. Your footsteps on the lightly graveled path seem to echo within the mist. Then you hear a noise off to one side. Listening, you hear the sound of stealthy footsteps. Someone is pacing you out just out of sight. He may be just another evening stroller, but the fact that he seems to stay in step with you indicates that he is not. You step and turn to face him. You see nothing. Another sound is gone as well. You walk a few paces back the way you came, but see and hear nothing. 
Passing under a street lamp, you note the dark shadows thrown up by your footprints and the dark damp. You bend down and examine one. It's partially covered by another footprint. You look intently down at your back trail, but see nothing. After a moment's hesitation, you turn and set off for the Admiralty. You enter and ask for Admiral Weathersley's office. A clerk gives you directions as you walk up three flights of stairs into the room. You open the door and enter the office. A man sits at a cluttered desk, and while you've never met Admiral Weathersley, you're certain that this fellow is not he. Deciding this must be his secretary, you approach the desk. Yes? The secretary says without even looking up from the papers he's reading. I'm Mr. Richard Huntington. You say? And I have urgent business with Admiral Weathersley. And what business would that be? Asks the secretary in the officious tone. Inwardly you curse another guardian at the gate. I'm afraid that's confidential. You say? It is most urgent, however. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. There's been a lot of talk of guardian at the gate. Mm-hmm. Like, because obviously, you know, the mur- the potential murdery to be, obviously, guard at the gate. But then we went to see Sherlock Holmes. There's, uh, what was her name? Mrs. Oof. Uh, Hudson. Mrs. Hudson was gate like guarding the door more or less and then mm-hmm. she was William mentioned Turpin for the silversmiths as well yeah and like literally being on the nose mentioned to be the guardian of the gate mm-hmm. like i do wonder if like i don't know if we're gonna pull back to that like the murderer is just another gate guard i don't know anyway pick a number to add your communication we need an eight sorry only needing an eight and smashing it with a 12 so five plus six plus one the Admiral is not here. The Secretary says primly. He left several minutes ago for Buckingham Palace. If you hurry, you may catch him. Turn to 354. Ma Beans. If only we'd waited. Were we at Buckingham Palace? Um, probably not. We were talking to the Prince of Wales, so... So maybe we wouldn't have known. I don't know. Anyways. You dash out of the building, but Admiral Weathersley is nowhere to be seen. He's obviously taken a cab, so you decide to walk back in case he stops along the way. You hurry down the mall to Buckingham Palace. As you're entering the gate, you ask the guard if Admiral Weathersley has returned. He informs you that the Admiral returned less than 10 minutes ago. Turn to 226. Also, just to make sure it doesn't get lost in the mist, it is very important we keep in mind that someone appeared to be following us very specifically along this path. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Was it our shadow? (laughs) You ask for directions to Admiral Weathersley's rooms learning that they're on the second floor, up the famous white marble staircase. You walk past some of the state apartments, admiring the beauty and grace of the rooms through the open doors. Then you arrive at the staircase. You turn left and climb past the mezzanine and the first floor, passing the guards in their beef-eater uniforms. Once on the second floor, you turn right and go down the corridor to Admiral Weathersley's room and rap on the door. Who is it? Comes the immediate answer. Mr. Richard Harrington, Admiral. You reply. Pick a number and add your communication. Needing a seven, getting a nine. There is a silence for a moment and then the door opens. Uh, please come in, says the Admiral Sir George Weathersley. He's not what you expected. From what Sir Henry told you earlier, this Admiral has never been to sea. He worked all his adult life in the labyrinth of the Admiralty, rising to his present post through meticulous attention to detail and sheer hard work. You'd expect to find a small, wizened gnome, his body pale and undernourished from years of neglect. Wow! Roasted. Instead, what you see is a hale and hearty man in the middle of years. 
Admiral Weathersley is of average height with curly black hair, graying at the temples. His skin has color and his eyes are dark. His middle is beginning to thicken and there are lines around his eyes. Oh my god, his wife. I'm so sorry to hear. <laughs> and his daughter? <laughs> but he looks like your ideal uh, captain of a three-mast frigate at more than any naval officer you've ever met. The effect is diminished only somewhat by a half-frame reading glasses perched on his nose. Very well, what is it? He asks, waving you to a seat. You take a moment to look around before replying. You find that he has but two rooms. This sitting room and a small bedroom through the open door on the far side of the room. The sitting room, though spacious, doubles as a study or office and is crammed with several chairs, a desk, a large wardrobe, and a file box of papers. There are a number of pictures on the wall reflecting his nautical profession and a large portrait of a very striking woman in a place of honor. The Admiral's dead wife, <laughs> you suppose. <laughs> I mean, you should have known, right? The wrinkles! It really is a tell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It would be wild if we said, oh, that your dead wife, I suppose? And he's like, no, she's leaving. I'm just old. <laughs> Uh, your inspection complete, your eyes return to Admiral Weathersley. He's noticed your actions and appears somewhat irritated. If you're quite finished, may we proceed? Yes, Admiral. You answer. I should like to ask you a few questions about an incident which took place at the palace early this morning. What incident? He asks, becoming agitated. Pick a number and add your observation. Needing a six, getting a... Cough him. He's agitated. Seven. Put him in jail. 409 to put him in... <laughs> jail. He reaches out to move some papers from one stack to another. The gesture appears to be unnecessary to you, possibly arising from nervousness. As he draws his hand back, you see a nasty cut on across two knuckles, and it looks recent. Check off clue M and turn to 468. I would suggest some brawling on his behalf. Oh, baby. I'm sorry, Admiral, but I'm not permitted to say for the moment. It's got to be held in the highest confidence. I can assure you, however, that it is a very serious act and involves violence. You notice that he's removed a watch from his pocket and strokes the back of the case. It appears to be a nervous habit, but and from the smoothness of the watch case, one he has practiced for many years. Pick a number and add your observation again, needing another oops, seven. Getting a He's He's only getting more suspicious every single page. I suspect we turn to the next page and you watch the Admiral stabbing another man actively. You get suspicious that he might be the murderer. Well, let us see, because I got a 10. I did roll one of the dice off the table, so I had to... Of course. Don't worry, it didn't count. Naturally. You think that you have struck a chord with this man. He is agitated about something, and it could be the very crime that you're charged with investigating. It appears that he strokes that watch the way a village shaman would a talisman. Okay. Turn to 4.53. Very well, Mr. Huntington. He says. What is it you wish to know? I'd like to know what time you returned to the palace last night, Admiral. You declare. I should think it was just after midnight. He continues to fondle the watch case as if totally unaware of it. And when you returned, through which gate did you enter? The main entrance, Mr. Huntington. It was beginning to rain, so I took a cab from the Admiralty. Did you see both sentries when you entered the courtyard? Yes, they were in their boxes. Did you know either man? I did not have the window down because of the rain. He answers firmly. You notice that he's stroking the watch even more briskly now. That he sees you watching him and looks down at the watch in his hand as if noticing it for the first time. 
He pulls the watch fob from the other pocket, bundling the chain with the watch, places it on top of his desk near his right hand. I have a habit of stroking the watch. He smiles apologetically. It was my father's. I'm afraid I may have permanently weakened the top. Uh, sorry, what was your question? Did you know either of the guards? They changed so often, it would be impossible. Did you go directly to your rooms afterwards, Admiral Weathersley? No, no, not directly. He says, looking thoughtful. I wandered down to the kitchen about an hour later. I had forgotten about eating. There'd just been no time with all the stirring about to justify the Navy's expenditures to Mr. Gladstone. Is he not in favor of the Navy? You ask? Well, yes, he is, but it's a matter of direction. He replies, obviously feeling a little bit more relaxed. Not favor the new steel battleships now planned for construction until he is convinced that they can be built without sacrificing his domestic programs. I see. But I was led to believe you worked exclusively with the House of Lords. Uh, normally, yes, but not when matters of such importance of the Navy hang in the balance. He is getting more relaxed by the minute. You need to change the subject. Admiral, you'd have no reason to attack one of the sentries, would you? What? How dare you? He explodes, slamming his hand down at the top of the desk. The watch he so carefully placed was only moments, wait, only moments before it slides off the top and crashes to the hardwood floor. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. 2 to 5, 194, 6 to 12. I'd never be violent, and I'll kill you! <laughs> I'll kill you about it. Uh, we're, we got an 8. On to 4, That'll 65. do it, 465. You look at the watch fearing its damage. You see it lying on the floor and its case open in the broken glass of the watch bezel strewn across the room. You bend down to retrieve it and as you pick it up, another lid cleverly concealed within the first spring springs open. And you look inside what could be only considered a secret compartment. Inside the compartment is the picture of a woman, a beautiful dark-haired woman. Admiral Weathersley snatches the watch from your hand with a horror-struck look. But what you have seen, what you have seen may be significant. The woman whose picture you saw there is not the same woman as the one in the portrait, although there are striking similarities between them. The portrait is the Admiral's dead wife. <laughs> yes, this photograph is someone else. The portrait depicted of a woman more mature years. Perhaps his wife, but older. <laughs> mm. uh, I mean, also, the photograph was unfaded and appeared new, while the portrait might be several years old. Check clue N. Pick a number and add your scholarship bonus. My lord, needing an eight. Sorry, only needing an eight. Mm -hmm. I got a six on the first roll, so we're looking good. Nine, ten. I am interested if this means that he stole this from someone else. Ah. True. It'd be bold to then hold it and rub on it. Hmm. The woman's face survives a memory. You've not seen her. You have seen her face before. A woman as beautiful as this one is unique enough to command your attention. A moment later, you have it. In Berlin, several years ago, you and your late wife—we have our wife—is dead. Yeah, that's hence that's the wrinkles. Right. That's right. That's that was in the mirror. I forgot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Attended the theater. Written all over our face. <laughs> it's yeah. just like memento style. <laughs> wife dead. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's just a like frowny face on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then underneath it just says daughter too. <laughs> it's different ink. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the best visual. 
Uh, in Berlin several years ago, you and your late wife attended the theater, seeing uh, opera as the guest of a friend. You're not particularly fond of Wagner, but you have had been riveted by the young actress playing the lead. Though the theater brochure had said she was not yet 16, you recall being struck by her... Okay. Uh, she had seemed so out of place. I mean, all right now. <laughs> she looked nice. She had seemed so out of place in that opera, so frail and vulnerable among the warriors and the Valkyries. You cannot be sure it is she. You have only seen her once. And she'd be in her early 20s now, a grown woman. Still, you know if you heard her sing, you would know. The young girl that evening seemed very out of place until she had sung. Then her voice had filled the opera house to overflowing, rich, and penetrating beyond her years. Beyond her, okay? Beyond her frame. From the moment on, she had captured the stage and the attention of the audience, transforming a dull and heavy opera into a thing of wonder and beauty. Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it she? And if so, what is her photograph doing in Admiral Weathersley's watch? Check clue O. If being a gentleman, you decide not to ask about her, 451, uh, or we can ask, do we, do we want to pry? If being a cat at heart, you ask Admiral Weathersley about it, uh, turn to 172. I think uh, prying would be a way to press his buttons uh, in yeah. a way that I think we've, so far over the course of this conversation, proven an intent to do. I do want to say, though, like, yeah, weird passage. It reminds me of, like, going to karaoke and, like, queuing up a bunch of classic rock songs and then getting halfway through one, and it's like, whoa! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. You know, chill. <laughs> chill. Is cool. Cool. Next track, please. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking next, of the next track, next page. I think we should go for the being a cat at heart. I have, I've already done it. 172. <laughs> yeah. Meow. Because I'm a cat at heart. Meow. She's certainly a lovely woman. You comment casually, hoping to draw him out. Yes. He agrees a little frantically, casting around for a way to explain her photograph, obviously horrified that you have such poor manners as to bring up another gentleman's private life. It's a picture of my mother when she was young. I had a new print made as the old one was destroyed when the watch was accidentally burst in water. Check result one. Pick a number to add your scholarship bonus. W to note that it can't. <laughs> that he's lying? That he's lying because we've already noticed it's a new photograph? Also, result I, the results were A through... Oh, God damn. So there's a results A through J, and then there's a results Roman numerals table as well. This, it feels like half of this book was written at a time and then merged together. Mm. Oh, no, wait, result I, never mind. Result I is also a letter, not just a Roman numeral. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to, I mean, I was, gonna, oh, no. I was kind of waiting for that one. <laughs> I didn't, that was sincere. Yeah. Uh, Pick a number to add scholarship bonus, needing a seven, getting a two plus six plus one, you get a nine. Forty-three. Baloney. Baloney, good sir. Baloney. His explanation. Yeah, full of deli meats. Yeah, why don't you go see the beef man? His explanation is not plausible for reasons that you already knew the photograph is recent. A photograph of Admiral Weathersleep's mother could have been printed. Could not could have been printed on modern photographic paper, but it would not have 
pictured her in modern clothes. <laughs> uh huh. She's also holding a picture of uh, the paper with today's date. <laughs> it's just like it's a very roundabout way of saying like we already knew that this was a new photo. <laughs> mm-hmm. You will get no further following the present line of questioning, as he's already resorted to lying. I do hope the watch is not broken. You comment sympathetically. It seems a fine one. A gift from your father, you say? Turn to 335. When we have something where we have like can catch him on something via proof, I guess I don't know why it always goes, no, they'll press it any further. Yeah, I wonder if it's possible that they were trying to demonstrate to us that you could... Not that we should shock him out of his comfort zone, but that he was much more comfortable speaking in his comfort zone. Yeah. Because, it, it, like, we didn't learn anything additional by accusing him in that way. Uh, well, I guess we learned that he was intentionally lying about that, which we might be able to use as proof yeah. later. But apparently, maybe not, because we didn't get to mark anything down. No, we did. Yes, that was the result. We did, we just didn't get to mark anything down for the next thing. The, yes. The, the further success. 335. Uh, yes, it was. Admiral Weathersley replies quickly, grateful for the opportunity to change the subject. May I get you a drink, Mr. Huntington? Oh, yeah, thank you. A brandy? A brandy would be really nice. You say? The room has become very cold. Well, he pours the brandy into two snifters. You go over to the fire and stir new life into the dying embers. Pick a number and add your observation bonus, needing a seven. This book loves needing a seven, getting a ten. Mm-hmm. Three eighty-one. You're about to stir the embers when you notice a partition, par- partially burned sheet of parchment in the dying fire. The soot is too heavy and the light too poor for you to see the color, but it has a triangular-shaped corner missing. The en- then the embers catch. The parchment goes up in flames before you can retrieve it. Resignedly, you add kindling, and in the moments, the fire roars. You return to your seat just as Admiral Weathersley hands you a snifter. You notice he has a strained look on his face. You snip, <laughs> sip your brandy slowly, considering the implications. Check Kloopy. And if you question the Admiral about the parchment, turn to 393. If you say nothing, 195. I mean... Squeeze out the juice. Yeah, I I still... I Despite the way in which the last one went, I don't necessarily think it was a failure. I do still yeah. want to keep pressing him. Yeah. What, are we going to hurt the, crim- the, the, the murderer's feelings? You know. Squeeze him. Wait, so this takes us immediately to 393. Yeah. Okay. I believe you know what I found in the fire, Admiral. Whatever do you mean, Mr. Huntington? It was a piece of the Queen's personal stationery. What of it? Shelton sends me a request for information. Oh, would you like to see one? He gets up from his chair and walks over to his desk, opening the center drawer to withdraw several additional sheets of the same paper. He hands them to you. One's a request for information from the Admiralty about the status of discipline and morale in the fleet since the demise of flogging. Another is a request for an accounting of a nautical accident involving a collision between British and American warships. You remember seeing an accountant in the newspaper some time ago. An account in the newspaper some time ago. You hand them back to him. If you press about the missing corner piece, turn to 421. If you thank him and leave, 239. I'm making this man into man juice. Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) So about this Dorito I found. Hmm. Hmm. I can't help but notice you have a little bit. Flavor blasted, you say? Yeah, you have a little bit of 
uh, spicy sweet chili dust on your cheek there, Admiral. Mmm. And if you'll extend your fingers, ah, just as I expected, they taste just like Cool Ranch. <laughs> For the folly of that, I had to suck my own finger. <laughs> yeah, had, had, had to is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> we commit to the bit here. 421. That's all very well. You say, noticing that the Admiral seems to have regained his composure. But why would she have asked you, an Admiral, to fetch her information on the African Crown Colonies? The Admiral starts as if your question has suddenly turned into a hot coal and burned him. How would you know that? He says in confusion. Because there's a treatise on the subject in that file box. You indicate the paper you had seen while walking back from the fireplace. The one under the wall lamp. He says nonplussed. She sometimes asks for special favors, probably because I live here in the palace. You have no way of knowing whether this answer makes any sense, but you view it with skepticism. In your estimation, his reaction to your question indicates that you have scored another hit. You've sunk his battleship. Now, if you just knew why. You ask a few more questions, but it's obvious that Admiral Weathersley has had quite enough and is barely civil. You decide to take your leave for the moment. Turn to 239. Marking off nothing, again. Good thing we have this little note that says he can't be mad with us. Yeah. I do hope that we get, um, I really do hope we get, like, a on vibes check this. Mm -hmm. I really hope so, because we are getting a lot of information, but not a lot of clues marked. And we have a lot of, uh, you know, assertions from our clues that are unmarked, so. True. It would be nice to be able to demonstrate them back to the book. It is quite late when you leave Buckingham Palace. There are a few calves on the mall and are and are all occupied. You're forced to walk all the way to Trafalgar Square before you can find one to take you home. You're so weary by the time you arrive home that you go straight to bed. In the morning, you awake suddenly, certain you have overslept. With an oath, you throw off the covers and spring for the bed. In less than 20 minutes, you made yourself barely presentable and eat a sandwich of toast, eggs, and bacon. Later, you hail a cab to take you to Wellington Barracks. It's nearly 8.30, the sun is bright, the rain of the past few days has disappeared, replaced by the winter sun. Today is your last day to solve the crime before the police are called in, assuming that McNeil does not die before the day is out. If you search McNeil's bunk, 373, if you talk another s again to the other soldiers in the unit, 428. So, we did previously say that we were going to continue to press McNeil. Mm -hmm. No, not Mc McNeil. McNeil's the Sorry, McGill is the yeah. person I was thinking of. McNeil is obviously the, the yeah. victim. Yeah, let's search his bunk. Yeah, McGill is um, Saul from Better Call Saul. Yes, sorry, my apologies. Jimmy. Jimmy, two, two, oh God, Slippin' Jimmy? Slippin' Jimmy, exactly. There we go. got there. 373. You decide to search McNeil's bunk, although his officers have already gone through his personal effects and found nothing, and it occurs to you, he may have hidden something near his bunk. Perhaps you'll find some evidence of blackmail leading to the person who attacked him, if indeed that was the motivation for the assault. You walk over to the area corner in the barracks. Normally, he, the bunks would have been stacked two or three high, but the royal guard duty carries with a few carries with it a few privileges. McNeil's bunk is placed in the corner. A round top trunk lies at the foot of the bed, and a tall, narrow wardrobe stand against the wall between McNeil's bunk and the next one. Check decision seventeen. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. Needing, stop me if you heard this one before. A seven. A I had seven. to stop you. Because yeah. I'd heard that before. That's a common one. Ooh, getting a five. 
failure. That feels bad. That feels bad. That feels bad. You search the bunk, even stripping off the sheet, but find nothing. Oh. Neither the wardrobe nor the trunk reveals anything. Examining the barracks' common area, you'll find nothing as well. You decide that it was a good idea in principle, but the results are disappointing. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you've not checked 18 and wish to talk to the other soldiers, turn to 428. If you seek out Captain Treadwell, 227. If you consult with Sherlock Holmes, 419. So we still haven't had the opportunity to speak to the captain at any point, if I recall correctly. True. Do you want to go there in fear that we miss, we can miss that opportunity? or? <sighs> That is kind of the way that I'm feeling. Because, like, despite wanting to talk to the other soldiers, like, we'd only really want to press McGill. And even then, McGill already has an out, if I recall correctly. Despite the fact that they were acting suspicious, uh, they relaxed as soon as it appeared we weren't looking into their conduct specifically as a guard. So it seems yeah. like they were more worried about supervision rather than uh, seems, seeming suspicious because they were being investigated for a crime. Yeah. I'd say that's fair. So Let's head to 227 yeah, and talk I'm, to the captain. I'm happy to do that if in, just in case this is a choice that we like miss out on. Mm-hmm. You leave the barracks area to seek out Captain Treadwell, hoping he may have discovered some new information in your absence. He welcomes you to his office and offers you a cup of tea. As you sip the tea, you provide a short summary of what you've learned. Not very much, is it? He says sympathetically. Is there anything I can do to help? Have you learned anything since I saw you last? I'm sorry, but no. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing a seven. Getting a seven. Giving an eight. Uh! Yes. Getting an eight. <laughs> that was me yelling at the dice to give me the results. Successfully. Is it 499 or 449? Sorry. Uh, it's 499. Hell yeah. Captain Treadwell. You ask? Has anything unusual happened in the guard unit overnight? No, nothing. He replies at once. Wait a moment. There is something at that. Over in two company, a man is missing. Such a... Such easy duty that absence is unusual. Probably a woman involved. Do you know who the missing man is? Uh, Why, yes. A private name Murphy, I believe. You leave to see Holmes, 469. If you question the other soldiers in two company, you turn to 365. Don't believe we've spoken to Murphy before. Nor I? So I definitely think we should. And also the unique opportunity here to speak to the other soldiers in two companies specifically, rather than just the other guards in yeah. general. Mm-hmm. 365. I'm in. You jump to your feet, making your apologies, leave to seek out Captain Wren, Private Murphy's company commander. He permits you to question the men in the Private Murphy's barracks. Gathering them, he turns over to you. Men? You say to the assembled group. As you're aware, there's a serious incident that occurred here last night, resulting in one of your number being seriously injured. We have reason to believe that Private Murphy is somehow connected to the incident. We must contact him immediately. We have Captain Wren's assurance that he will be treated well... But I must know where he is. Pick a number and add your communication. Needing an 8, getting a 10. 9 plus 1, 145. After a long silence, one of the men steps forward, braving the glares of his fellows. I, sir, I know where he went, most likely. To said he had a brother that lives in the canal on East End. Which canal, soldier? You ask. The Grand Union Canal, sir. Thank you. You say to the men in general. I assure you he'll come to no harm, provided he's committed no crime. You have a lead. 
If you decide the East End is too far and instead go to see Sherlock Holmes 434, if you travel to the East End 430. Ooh. This is now tight considering time. Oh, I mean, we wouldn't want to waste so much time on a wild goose chase, but at the same rate, it feels like at every choice, uh, at every point here, rather, we've had the option to go and see Sherlock. Uh, and this is finally giving us the no Sherlock route. It's and true. I wonder if the uniqueness of that route makes it a, a appealing option. Very true. I'm happy to go either way. I just uh, also have something to say for the opposite. Let's just go 430. Let's do it. Sure, sure. Traveling to the East End. The East End is a long way. Even this early, you'll run into traffic as much as you as you must cross the busiest part of London to get there. You debate whether to take a cab or to try and put up at the smoke of the underground. There's a subway stop nearby. The nearest station is Char Charing Cross. You set out from Wellington Barracks, and by chance, you find an empty cab. Dismounting at Charing Cross, you find your way to the underground station and purchase a ticket. Then you walk down to the platform and await the train. The station is one of the older ones in London and shows the grime from the coal burners which used to pull the cars on the line. Electric chains have been in service for nearly five years now, but the stain from the coal dust remains. You do not look forward to the changing... Cha wait, to changing to a coal burner near the Tower of London to carry you to your destination. Briefly, you consider walking to the canal from the tower, but you know that such a trek would be unrealistic. You must put up with the dust. You also examine your fellow passengers and look around for any unintended, unattended packages. The dynamiters are on the loose. As of a few books ago, they are not, but... After, and several underground stations have been hit recently. Everything looks normal, so you relax. Then your train pulls into the station and you get on. The train is uncrowded at this time of the day, unlike early in the morning and late at, in the afternoon. You find a seat and look over your fellow passengers. Most of them are businessmen. The passenger, too, will change when you change trains and head north. Then you come to your intermediate station and prepare to get off. Once again, you feel the back of your neck prickle. You're being watched. Casually, you turn around to look, but the train stops and people rush off. You're unable to determine the source of the attention you are receiving. You step off the train and onto the platform. Making your way to a proper level, the proper level to catch the northbound line, you watch your back trail, even pausing in a kiosk along the way to purchase a newspaper. No one's following you. Later, you dismount from the coal burner, your eyes smarting. Make your way up to street level and set off for the canal. Turn to 292. You walk north until you come to Grand Union Canal, then turn west until you come to the rooming house where Private Murphy's brother lives. You climb the stairs to the room 202 and knock loudly. Pick a number to add your intuition. Needing a 7. Getting a more than 7. Getting an 11. 154. Nobody answers your knock, but some instinct tells you that they haven't left. So you knock again. Mr. Murphy. You say. I'm not here to arrest your brother. I merely wish to speak with him. You hear a movement behind the door and the sounds of a whispered conversation. Then a moment later, the door opens. Pick a number to add your observation. Needing yet another seven. Getting a... Six. Two plus eleven. One? No. No! I've we don't one. notice the door is open. I feel like we the door is still going to open. I think that we just... Oh, no. The door opens to reveal a heavy-bodied, brooding hulk of a man. Look for some resemblance to Private Murphy, but see none. A woman stands behind him, wringing her hands. Mr. Murphy? That I am. Are you from the police, then? Uh, no, Mr. Murphy. You answer. 
I'm Richard Huntington. I only wish to speak to your brother. I shan't harm him in any way. Oh, I told you. The woman wails. I told you, Mr. Murphy. That brother of yours has done us in proper. See if he ain't. Keep quiet, woman. We ain't done nothing. Then he looks back to you. Michael ain't here, and that's the truth of it. He was here, but he left some time back. I don't know where he went, neither. He shuts the door, leaving you standing in the hall. You decide to leave and hail a cab, telling the driver to take you to 221B Baker Street, turn to 419. Her. Feels like we maybe beefed it. Maybe a little beefery. Just a little beefing. You arrive at 221 Baker Street just after noon. Schoolboys in uniform cross the street in front of you, then you must move across for a chimney sweep in his ladder. You walk across the street towards Holmes's residence, only to be accosted by an old beggar, blind in one eye. Pity good, sir. He cries, peering blearily up at you, his head cocked to one side, two liver-spotted hands clutching at your sleeve. Blind I am. A box on him what has no pity for them less fortunate themselves. He waves his cup in front of your face. You try and sidestep him, but feeble as he is, he anticipates you. Kind, sir. He wails, drawing the attention of another flock of schoolchildren marching past. A father, no more. Can you not spare a father for an old man? He reaches out with grime-encrusted hands to pluck your sleeve again. You jerk your arm away and turn to walk away. Why, Richard, do you not have a farthing for an old beggar? Says a familiar voice behind you. Mr. Holmes? Good God! You exclaim. You turn to greet him, but Sherlock Holmes is nowhere in sight. Pedestrian traffic crowds the street. They see a wide berth around you and the old beggar, but Holmes is gone. Confused, you look at the old man, only to see him grinning at you. Sherlock Holmes straightens up and laughs at your consternation. <laughs> well met, Richard, he declares. Mr. Holmes, you gave me such a fright. What on earth are you doing? I shall tell you, Richard, he replies with excitement. A beggar can go anywhere and be invisible. A truly singular experience. People simply do not want to see you. The game is up, and I have the scent. This is the challenge of my life, my destiny. You have never seen Holmes so bursting with energy. His eyes sparkle as he paces back and forth, talking. His voice is alive with excitement. Mr. Holmes. You say? I hope I'm not intruding on your work, but I must speak with you. Certainly, Richard. Holmes agrees. Let us adjourn to my sitting room. The two of you enter the house and walk upstairs, passing a very disapproving-looking Mrs. Hudson along the way. Once in the study, Holmes tells you to begin while he goes about removing his disguise. You describe what you've discovered in as much detail as you can remember. When you finish describing what you've learned from Admiral Weathersley, Holmes stops you. If you've checked result H, turn to blip. Result I, turn to blop. We so, have I. Uh, we do have I. We do have I. That is the uh, Admiral photo lie. Um, I will also note, this appears to be the culmination of what Holmes was doing the entire time. He was malnourishing himself such for his disguise. Sure, sure, sure. Wild. <laughs> commitment. Never seen commitment to the bit like that. 300. Yeah. Richard, are you saying that you did not press the matter because such behavior is ungentlemanly? Hang on. We did press the matter. Yeah, but we did stop at a certain point. I suppose her, Mr. Holmes. Reply. I thought I'd taught you better than that, Richard. Even that dolt, Athelney Jones from Scotland Yard, would not have shied from asking such questions. If Admiral Weathersley is indeed guilty of the crime, 
His own act was most ungentlemanly. It was a singularly stupid thing to do. My instincts tell me our good admiral was the victim of blackmail. At the hands of Private McNeil. That woman may be the key. Holmes continues. You must discover why he does not want this information to be made public. You need to be more forceful, Richard. I see what you mean, Mr. Holmes. You say? How should I rectify the mistake? Turn to 218. I mean, I would have loved to, yeah, to press further in the first place. Yeah, okay, so we, right, it's not that we made the choice to back off at any point. We just could not continue yes. asking him questions. Got it. There, there was a point at which it was like, eh, you don't want to anymore. You can't. It'd be cringe. Mm -hmm. By questioning Admiral Weathersley about the woman. Do it now, Richard. The success of your investigation hangs in the balance. Turn to 412. You leave Baker Street for Buckingham Palace, still smarting under Holmes's criticism. When you arrive, you go immediately to Admiral Weathersley's rooms and knock on the door. There's no answer. You knock again. The passing chambermaid informs you that the Admiral was called away more than an hour ago. Called away? You ask. Do you know who sent for him? No, sir. She replies. The Admiral received a message this morning to upset him, it did. He left here in quite a hurry. Didn't say he'd be back. You want to try and get into his rooms, 119, if you wait his return, 102. I mean... 119. We were supposed to be forceful. Break and Absolutely. Enter. You thank the maiden, walk down the corridor until you're out of sight. You wait until you think she's gone, and then quickly you make your way back to Admiral Weathersley's door. Glancing up and down the corridor, you try the door. It's unlocked, so you go inside. The Admiral may return at any moment. You're uncertain about whether the Queen's writ pardons what you're about to do. But you've already decided to do it. Perhaps you can find something to help you make sense of this affair. You start your search of the Admiral's sitting room. Pick a number to add your observation, needing a 6, getting a very wasted 11. You notice that the ashes in the fireplace have been carefully raked. Most of the fire file boxes scattered over the floor are gone. You search the wardrobe and the desk without success, although you, can find, you find correspondence from the Queen. Apparently, Admiral Weathersley was telling the truth when he said he acted as a liaison between the Queen and the Admiralty. Having no success in the sitting room, you carry your search to the bedroom. This room is nearly as crowded as the sitting room, though smaller. You find nothing and return to the sitting room, and discouraged, you plop down into Admiral Weathersley's leather overstuffed chair and gaze off into the distance, thinking. Gradually, your eyes focus on a painting that you have been staring at for several minutes. It's unpicture of British ship of the line under full sail, bearing down on a French ship with her guns blazing. It's an undistinguished painting. You have seen dozens like it lining the walls of the Hyde Park on Sunday afternoons. But the picture is not what cuts your eye. It's the picture frame. It hangs just a little crooked, exposing a small triangle of wallpaper, not as faded as that on the wall. It is in the small sector of writer wallpaper that has attracted your attention. You get on your feet, walk to the picture, pulling the frame away from the wall and looking behind it. The matting on the back of the picture has a very suspicious-looking lump that you pull out your penknife, spread the matting, extracting a single sheet of folded paper. With shaking hands, you unfold it and begin to read. Hmm. Okay. I'm trying to figure out whose voice this is. <clears throat> yeah. My darling, someone's found us out. I'm terrified. He approached me at Kensington Gardens and told me that unless you agreed to help him, he would tell Otto about us. Oh, I'm so afraid, my darling. If Otto finds out, he'll kill me and probably you too. Please, please do as the man says. I could not bear to lose you. You're everything to me, my love. And I am confident you will save us. Will I see you Thursday next? Please come. I must see, even if it's too dangerous to speak with you. Oh, why did I not meet you first? 
I shall remain yours forever. Yours. Now you settle back down into Admiral Weathersley's leather chair to await his return. Check off clue R and turn to 404. Okay, so blackmail about revealing the nature of the relationship that Weathersley had with the writer of this note uh, yes. to what presumes to be the husband of the writer of this note uh, who would possibly kill both of them as a result. So it seems like McNeil was killed for setting up that blackmail. Yes, seems to be the case. Or rather, his fate hangs in the balance as he is not yet dead. True. <laughs> well, yeah, which is... It is weird, yeah. 4-4. Uh, in a few minutes, you hear footsteps coming down the hall and see the doorknob turn. Admiral Weathersley comes into the room and does not see you at first. He runs his hand through his hair nervously and then reaches for the rum bottle on a side table. As he's picking up the bottle, he catches sight of you and starts violently. Good evening, Admiral. You say evenly. I hope I didn't startle you. What are you doing here? He snarls angrily. Ah, confound you anyway, Huntington. This is not a public room. Get out! Why are you so agitated, Admiral Wesley? Something happened. Let me guess. Private McNeil died, now you're officially a murderer. I have no idea what you're talking about. He says, pouring himself a shot of rum and shake with shaking hands. Surely you didn't want him to live, Admiral. You continue. He would have only identified you after all. Or would he? Perhaps he would have hesitated to name you. After all, you'd done him quite a service, had you not. What do you mean? A horrified fascination fills his eyes now. I know all about it, Admiral Weathersley. You say, taking the folded letter from your pocket and showing it to him. Pick a number, adding nothing, and needing a seven. Uh, this is very sketchy. Extra sketchy when this is a three. That could very easily not go well. Mm-hmm. Half of the results now are good for us. Four, five, four, six. That is an eight. <gasps> uh, again, it's also an add nothing, so this might not even be a good one. For a moment, you think he's going to spring at you, but that some of the tension drains from him and he sinks into another chair across the room. I will tell you what you wish to know, Mr. Huntington. He replies, spreading his hands in surrender. I've never thought of myself a murderer. It was the... First time I'd ever killed someone. The deed weighs heavily upon my conscience. What? So he was blackmailing you then? I I, I don't believe this still, because we've never gotten such an outright confession. Mm-hmm. Ever. So I'm 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 still and, suspects. Because we've all I'm I'm there too. We've always had to, like maybe it was the the woman. You know, and he's mm. falling on lay sword or something. Because we've always had to make an accusation at the end. It's been the whole thing. We've never not had to make an accusation. I guess maybe so we... an additional crime. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm curious. Or maybe this one is the first one we don't have to. If you get this route. Um, okay. He's blackmailing you then, you ask? Yes, but you already knew that. He replies, shrugging. What was he using as evidence? I won't discuss that part of it, sir. He states flatly. I will tell you whatever you want to know about my own actions, Mr. Huntington, but I will not drag an innocent person's name through to this sordid episode. Please respect my feelings upon this matter. That person would be in grave danger should certain information be revealed. I'll respect your wishes, Admiral Weathersley. For the moment, anyway. You reply, adding the, la the last as you remember Holmes's recent admonition. What did Private McNeil want from you? 
turned to 476. Beads was money at first, but later he demanded information. Information? You ask? What kind of information? There were several items that most interested him. One was particular information concerning the British crown colonies in Africa. Africa? You say? Whatever did he want that for? I'm sure I don't know, nor do I care, replies the Admiral. What would he want to know about the colonies? You persist? Uh, for example, was he interested in diamond mines or mineral deposits? No, none of that. He wanted to know what plans to extend to the colonies, which colonies, what direction, and when the expansion was planned, that sort of rot. How very remarkable. A singular request, I might say. Yes, I suppose it was. He agrees without interest. But that was not all. He also wanted the plans for the new class of steel battleship the Admiralty is seeking the money to build. What? You exclaim. That's even more bizarre. What would he even do with that information? Sell it would be my guess. It would be worth quite a bit of money to the right people. I believe you're correct, Admiral. Tell me, did you give him the information that he demanded? At first I refused. Oh, I was willing to give him money. I was even willing to give him the information he wanted concerning the African colonies. I cannot imagine anyone getting use from that anyway. But I had no intention of giving him the plans for the ships. And since I had no access to the information on the colonies, I, off I refused and offered money instead. I have little, but I was willing to give him what I had. So what did he say to that? He didn't accept my refusal, as you may well imagine. He threatened a friend with exposure, and the threat to her convinced me to give him what he wanted. I could not bear to see her hurt. What matters to me is unimportant, so I agreed to do what he asked. Yet you said you had no access to the information on the African colonies. You comment. If that was true, how did you secure it? I couldn't secure it myself, but I could make it possible for him to get it. I obtained a sheet of parchment from the Queen that she uses for correspondence and wrote a request for the information. I had done that many, many times for legitimate reasons, for once she puts a seal upon it, the request becomes official. Then you were the one who took the Queen's seal? Of course. I made no study quite often. No one would think any of it. I was not near the study that night, and the guards in the hall were accustomed to seeing me work late. When did you hand the information over, Admiral Weathersley? The, the assignation was planned for... Assignation? I've never seen that word. Hmm. The assignation was planned for the evening under Admiralty Arch at midnight. But I saw him on duty that night before last and decided to bring the documents to him then. I still had hopes of appealing to his conscience. Why did you have to take the seal with you? You ask? I'd taken it earlier but I couldn't get back into the study until the morning, when I was prepared to bring a response to the letter that Mr. Gladstone's messenger had brought overnight. I had planned to slip it back into its stand before anyone noticed. I took it with me to the meeting because I dared not leave it behind. So you took the documents to him then? Yes. I slipped out in the courtyard when I saw the guard officers were both involved in a dispute at the service entrance. And you met with him in front of the sentry box? Yes, it was dark, and the sound of sleet falling covered our voices. I brought with me the request for the information he demanded on the African colonies. I had attached the Queen's seal. I had brought it with me, the ship plans also, and gave him the former, and then offered him a thousand pounds instead of the latter. It was all the money I have in the world. And what did he say? Oh, he refused. I appealed to his sense of patriotism. I told him that selling the ship plans would do irreparable damage to Britain. What did he say to that? Whatever weakened 
the enslaver would strengthen his victim, he said. His loyalty was to a free island, he said. It was all because he is certain that the lords will vote down the home rule bill. And then what did you do? I handed over the documents. But if you'd already given him what he wanted, why did you attack him? He made rude comments about a woman that I love. Just a moment, Admiral. Do you mean to tell me that you were willing to betray your country to McNeil and his comrades, but you refused to permit him to insult your mistress? Have a care, Mr. Huntington. Do not speak of her so. She is not my mistress. We love one another, though we may never be together. You have a hard time crediting the Admiral's sense of priorities. Still, there's a few things you must know. So what did he say that caused you to attack him, Mr. Sorry, Admiral Weathersley? The Admiral pauses for a moment, and then a look of anguish on his face appears. Just as I was leaving, he said that he might have his way with her. He said he wanted to know what it was about her that could make an Admiral betray his country. He said she had not paid him anything for his silence yet. So you attacked him? I would never permit him to lay his filthy hands on her. Especially, you remarked dryly, when you could not. Is that it? Ab Sounds more like jealousy than love. Call it what you will, Mr. Huntington. He grates, clearly irritated by your insight. I attacked him with a seal as a wizard hand. He continues, the words tumbling out of him. I used it as a bludgeon, then finally managed to tear it from my grip. His voice sinks to a whisper. I bared my steel and stabbed him. At this, he clasps his hands in front of him in misery. You must believe me. I did not think to kill him. You ask then what? Then what you ask persistently, sorry. You want to hear all of it. He fell back into his entry box, barely conscious. I tried to get the seal from him, but he had it in a death grip. I couldn't free it. Our struggle tipped his rifle, and it fell to the pavement with a great clatter. I ran. I panicked and I ran. I managed to retrieve the queen's parchment, tearing it where he lay upon it. I ran back into the palace, and no one saw me. Now you know everything, Mr. Huntington. Do with me what you will. I shall, Admiral Weathersley. By now there are detectives from Scotland Yard who will want to talk to you. You find yourself with very little sympathy for the man. Do we? Tell me one more thing, Admiral. Do you still believe it was worth it? Love is a very rare thing, Mr. Huntington. Love doesn't require you to betray your country, Admiral Weathersley. That you decided to do on your own. Your actions befoul the very love you sought to protect. Perhaps you should take some time to think about that. You take him back downstairs to the police. You give one of the policemen a detective named Tobias Gregson a summary of what you've learned. He requests that you adjourn to his office, which has been put aside for his use and complete your discussions. Just then a footman approaches with word that the Chamberlain requests your presence. Check clues T, U, and V. If you stay where you are, 310. If you see the Chamberlain, 358. Huh. Why would we... Why would stay? we stay? It has me very curious. You take him downstairs to the police. You give one of the policemen, a detective named Tobias Gregson, a summary. He requests that you adjourn to the office, which is just being put aside for his use to complete your discussions. Oh, okay. So it's it'd be either discussing with the police or going to the Chamberlain. Yes. Right. I wonder if the Chamberlain might be able to give us more... Because, like, I... I, I, I wonder if we would be giving information to the police because we know more than them in this instance, whereas the Chamberlain might have information we don't. I'm happy to... 
I'm happy to go. Let's do it. 358. It, it feels right, but we'll see. What? Wait, what? Yeah, 358. Oh my god, I'm looking at 359. Like, I thought it. I thought 358 wrapped up to 359, and that's like, you have to talk to. It's the talk to the merchants, uh, Admiral Weathersley, Prince of Wales, mm-hmm. friends. You decide you'll see the Chamberlain first. The police will be here for some time, after all. You can always see Gregson. You find the Chamberlain in his office. He rises to greet you. Ah, Mr. Huntington. Uh, he says. So glad you could take the time to see me. A pleasure, Lord Chamberlain. You reply. I wish to thank you for your assistance in this affair. I understand that you've caught the murderer. Fine work, Mr. Huntington. I'm certain the Queen will be pleased to have this unfortunate incident brought to a successful conclusion. A man was killed, Lord Chamberlain. You say? Why, yes, of course. He replies with a faint smile. And not by anyone important. The Admiral's blood relationship to the Queen is faint, you see. He was allowed to live in the palace on the Queen's sufferance because of the love the Queen bore for the Admiral Weathersley's dead wife. There would be no sordid speculation in the newspapers, and that is enough. I see. You say? You cannot disagree with the Chamberlain's logic, but you've now heard... What you've now heard has somewhat tarnished your victory. Now you just want to be away from this man. If you'll excuse me, Lord Chamberlain. Of course, Mr. Huntington. Of course. He favors you with a tight-lipped smile and he, as he shakes your hand. If you're satisfied with the investigation, turn to 209, otherwise 108. Nah, I'm not done until we put a royal in jail. Yeah, the queen did it. <laughs> this goes all the way to the top. Uh, yeah, we're not satisfied with this investigation. 108. We're not done. There are still some puzzling aspects to the case, and in an effort to crystallize the questions in your mind. Or is this just like a, if you, it might, well, whatever. It might just be a a description, more of a description. I don't think so. I think there's more. Like, it even said you can still visit the the policeman on the previous page. So it has to continue. There are some puzzling aspects in this case. In an effort to crystallize the questions in your mind, you decide to visit Sherlock Holmes. You arrive at 221B Baker Street to find Dr. Watson looking in on Holmes. Holmes, in a good cheer, is suffering Dr. Watson's ministrations without complaint. I shall have something to tell you by spring, Watson. He he says with a wicked grin. By then, I shall have this scheme unraveled enough to see where the threads cross. I'm quite certain you have no idea what you mean, Holmes. Dr. Watson replies. But whatever it is, it's improved your health. can find no trace of the illness you manifested nearly two days past. I told you, my dear Watson, that was a purification process, and a most singular one it is, too. I permitted myself to become so ill that I might destroy the illness. In a manner of speaking, I lured it into the open where it could be destroyed, using both my body as a bait and a weapon. In this manner, the illness could not creep upon me and incapacitate me during the course of the investigation. I must say, Holmes, it sounds preposterous, comments Dr. Watson, shaking his head and smiling at you. Had I not seen you two days ago, I would have sworn you could have made that ill. It's totally beyond anything I've ever seen. The method is not new. Eastern mystics have used it for centuries. I intend to explore these techniques more fully sometime in the future. We are keeping Richard waiting. Holmes waves you to a chair. My apologies, Richard, but the good doctor simply will not countenance anything in medicine that is so totally outside his ken. You would think he took it as a personal affront. It's quite all right, Mr. Holmes. You reply. I found it most interesting. 
There have been some new developments in your case, Richard. Have you caught your man? Yes, it was Admiral Weathersley, but um, that's actually not why I'm here. Please, permit me to bring you up to date. You relate what you've learned. If you've checked result M, but not N and O, turn to 293. Is that, have we? Uh, so we have checked M, N, and O. Okay. If you've checked results N, but not O, turn to 298. If you've checked O, 505. So it sounds like 505. Mm -hmm. 505. That is specifically the singer in the amulet in the secret compartment. Gotcha. When you finish, Dr. Watson clears his throat and says... Ah, from what you... Yeah, Watson. From what you already told us, Richard, this woman must be young and beautiful and German. I believe I saw something in the Sentinel this evening that may have a bearing on the case. He reaches into the pocket of his coat and extracts a folded newspaper, opens it, and looks for the relevant article. Ah, here it is. It appears that there will be a reception at the German embassy tonight. Acting as a hostess will be the celebrated beauty, Mrs. Ludmilla Mueller, who will also sing as part of the evening's entertainment. Does that strike a bell? Yes! You say excitedly. I must secure an invitation! I believe I can be of some assistance there, comments Holmes with a smile. I shall have your invitation delivered to your house in an hour. You thank them both and leave to prepare for the reception. Turn to 201. Sick. 201. It's quite dark before your cab pulls up in front of the German embassy. Well-dressed men and gowned ladies are arriving, most of them in private carriages. An awning has been erected outside the entrance for guests waiting to enter. In case of rain. You join the line of guests at the door. You hand your invitation to the doorman and are shown to a guest register where you enter your name as... Admiral Sir George Weathersley. <laughs> a moment later, you why, why would we have done that? A I moment have no clue. <laughs> the murderer? Like the known murderer? <laughs> a moment later, you walk up the staircase to the floor above when the reception where the reception is being held. You pause in the doorway and survey the crowd. There appear to be more than a hundred guests already present, so you'll not be conspicuous. Many of the guests speak French, and most of them are probably foreign diplomats and their wives. Still alive, mind you. Check the wrinkles, and the lack thereof. Here and there you see the uniform of a military man, but for once all the Germans, I... Appear to be in Mufti, which is free dressing outside of the uniform. Uh, it's Mufti. Okay. The occasion... That's what they called them at uh, my primary school. You'd bring in a gold coin for charity and you'd get to wear not the uniform for a day. Oh... The occasion appears ill-suited for the, again, assignation? Assignation? That's I'm with such you. Such a strange it feels word. It feels clumsy. You suspect, but you hope to discover the identity of the elusive woman whose picture you saw on Admiral Weathersley's watch. You begin to comb the crowd for her, pick a number, and add your observation. Needing a six, getting a seven. 339. A waiter approaches with a tray of drinks, and you take one, knowing it'll make you less conspicuous in the crowd. That is until the guest list gets purloined. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a niche one. Uh, the crowd has already resolved into little knots of individual conversations, with most of them speaking French, the language of the international diplomacy. You do not see the mystery woman in any of these groups, then you notice a much larger group at one end of the largest room and wander over. Most of the group and are men, and once there, you see why. The woman for whose attention they're all vying for is one of the most beautiful women you've ever seen. She's a small woman, not more than five feet tall. 
She's slight a build, but very feminine, with a long, graceful neck and eyes full of life. She laughs easily, favoring one of each one of her suitors in turn with her full attention. You're certain that every man there is in love with her. Her many suitors address her as Mrs. Muller. Mueller. <laughs> Check clue Y. If you've checked O, turn to 351. Yes. Could we have not... Uh, we, what? Have we not? Checked clue O? Yeah, we have. Yeah. I was going to say, how could we... Could we have... I don't know how we could have gotten here without... Eh, I mean, there must have been a way. 351. She has matured since you saw her last. Her face has lost some of the quality of her adolescent years, but her dark eyes are the same. She expresses more in a single glance than most women do in hours of intimate conversation. You watch her in the space of a single exchange, go from cool reserve, thawing gradually to open frankness, and then to provocative intimacy as she makes another conquest. It is a sense of intimacy she can recreate between herself and another, even in the midst of a crowd, that is her greatest weapon. For the man who is the object of her attention, there is no crowd. There is no one but her in all the world. She plays the reluctant wife now, this young actress, actress you first saw in Berlin. On her hand is a wedding ring, but you cannot distinguish her husband from any of the others in the group. No doubt he is as captivated by her as anyone there. You shudder at the thought of what must he must go through at the parties each time the men gather around his wife. You join the group and await your turn. In the time she turns to you, you feel the impact of her eyes. They smolder, they promise nothing, and yet everything... They're the eyes of Lorelei, the German temptress who lures men to their deaths, broken on the rocks of their passion. I do not believe we have met, sir. She says with a faint German accent. I am Mrs. Ludmilla Müller. We haven't, madam. You reply, bearing up with an effort under the force of her allure. Now that the, her attention is focused in your direction, you begin to understand her power. Even knowing what you do, you find it difficult to resist her. My name is Richard Huntington. I'm a friend of Admiral Weathersley's. He asked me to respect, uh, express his regrets. Admiral Weathersley? She asks, somewhat confused, as if unable to place him. Oh, no. She's very good, but you saw her eyes widen just a bit. I always meant to tell you how much I enjoyed your performance several years ago in Berlin. You have a lovely voice. You say with a smile, watching her composure for cracks. I didn't know you'd been married. Do you not remember, Admiral Weathersley? No, I am sorry, sir, but I meet so many people at affairs like this. I could have met him once, but not remember his name. She has neatly covered her tracks, but you do not miss the meaningful do not miss the meaningful glance she shot at someone over your shoulder. Turn to three sixty nine. Hmm. You shoot back? It matters not, as he's been arrested for treason and murder. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you don't know him because he's a criminal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At first, she'd weather the storm like the actress she is, but your statement finishes her. She starts. Her hand goes to her mouth in fright that she turns to make a quick exit. To the black looks of every other man in the group, you follow, knowing that if you can just get her alone for a moment, you may get all the answers that you need. She runs up the stairs as you follow, but you are intercepted, blocking from the stairs as a man. May I help you, Mr. Huntington? I am Otto Mueller, second secretary and the lady's husband. He says coldly, without a trace of an accent. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> he is of medium height. <laughs> that's, that's just default voice. Everything else is an accent. That is default voice. <laughs> we, have, we have found it. It is the room temperature room. <laughs> it is the voice of which there is no accent upon it. It is that oh one. Oh my God. 
I, I scanned ahead enough and I got to his name and I was like, done. That's, yes, yeah. Like, one more sentence. Oh. <laughs> it's so good. I this, this bit is better than if you got it right. <laughs> <laughs> he is of medium height with your blonde hair turning white at the temples. You put his age at about 40. His pale blue eyes are those of a killer belying his diplomatic profession. Underlining the contradiction is the dueling scar on his cheek, thin and white, jagged like a lightning bolt. I must see your wife, Mr. Mueller. You say, knowing it is hopeless. She has information I need. You are only the latest in a long line of men who wish to pay their respects to my wife, Mr. Huntington. Nearly all of them wish to see her alone, too. Please leave. There is nothing else you can accomplish here, standing on German soil, so you leave. Check off clue Z. About that being bold thing. Mm. It was just a one-time <laughs> Let's thing. Let's cause international uh, diplo diplomatic problems. Yes, please. Let's be bold. This line of investigation seems to have run into a dead end. You decide to go back to Baker Street and see Sherlock Holmes's counsel. You walk out of the door into the night, decide to hail a cab. Hearing a clatter, you turn around to find a heavy growler bearing down on you. The driver whipping up his team for all he's worth. You drive, dive for safety. Pick a number and add your athletics. Needing a six, getting a seven. We did, definitely, that is the that is the one thing. We did not figure out who the person following us was. Mm. We can make assumptions, but we don't know. You just managed to dive out of the path of the runaway cab. Was this an accident, you wonder? Picking yourself up, you brush off the dirt and continue to Baker Street. Would we have died? <laughs> <laughs> the case ends. You find Sherlock Holmes at home when you arrive. He is in deep thought and does not seem happy to see you. Then he dispels that notion with his first words. Come in, Richard, come in. I shall be happy to think of something other than my own case, which I admit has led to nothing. This fox is very sly. Uh, tell me what you've learned. You tell him everything you've learned since the last time you met, remembering to include as much detail as you can while avoiding unnecessary words. He becomes very interested in when you describe your meeting with Otto, Otto Mueller. Describe this man Mueller, he Richard. says. He's about five feet? Eight inches, Mr. Holmes, with fair skin and ice blue eyes. The coldest eyes I've ever seen. He has a dueling scar on his right cheek. Richard, think hard. Is the scar crooked and shaped like the tines of a fork? Well, I would have described it as a lightning bolt, but yeah, I suppose so. Does that make a difference? All the difference in the world, Richard. The man you just described is Count Helmut von Steincastle. Prince Bismarck's spymaster and more than once his trusted assassin. And this explains much. Bismarck? He's retired. You say? The man has obviously found a new master. Probably the young Kaiser. Richard, this man is very dangerous. Seek the assistance of the police in this matter. Do not attempt to capture him yourself. Count von Steincastle has been res responsible for the deaths of more than a dozen men that I know of. And probably many I do not. He is a ruthless killer. It's even rumored that he killed his own king. His king? You ask, intrigued. Which one? He is Bavarian by birth, though he moved to Prussia soon after leaving home. I've uncovered evidence that was early in his career at the behest of Prince Bismarck. It was Count von Steincastle who assassinated Mad King Ludwig of Bavaria. The assassination was made to resemble an accident, but I know better. The deed brought the independent kingdom of Bavaria under Prussia's control, and, in some measure, is responsible for the preeminent position of Kaiser in Germany today. Then, what part do you believe he plays in this affair? 
I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he manipulated this whole business. That woman is probably not his wife. And it was probably he who guided the liaison with Admiral Weathersley. The separatists were undoubtedly brought in to act as intermediaries, though neither they nor Admiral Weathersley ever suspected the Irish extremists were not in control of the situation. It was von Steincastle from the beginning. You can be sure of it. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing a seven. Ooh, third desk. Getting a ten. Fourteen. <gasps> we got you, Frank and von Steincastle. Hell yeah. It has just occurred to you that Count von Steincastle does not yet have the ship plans. He would have already left the country if he managed to secure them. His contact, Private McGill, has been delayed by your own investigation. The man will be free now that the police have Admiral Weathersley, but the meeting has not yet taken place. You turn your attention back to Holmes. Check deduction six. If you summon the police as Holmes suggests, turn to 492, otherwise 435. I don't know that it's ever been a good idea to do something that Holmes thinks is a bad idea. It's never been a good idea to not listen to Holmes so far. Mm. Which is why this feels odd. Yeah, it does. It does. What? I mean, I can't really see the benefit to not. Feels very weird. Let's I summon the police then. I, I I just think that it would be like, I would think I think that what is gather what I gather from this is it would be like, summon the police for it or we try and handle it ourselves. Is what I'm reading out of this, because he Holmes said don't, I wouldn't engage him yourself, as he's a ruthless killer. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that means that that would be the more difficult path, right? Yeah, I would assume. I I could go either way. Hand, hand, hands off what you got. I'm good with both, for real. Let's hunt him down. Turn to 435. If you can get this information to the police quickly enough... Holmes continues. They should be able to arrest him and recover the plans. They won't be able to arrest the Count, Mr. Holmes. His position at the embassy will grant him diplomatic immunity. I very much doubt it, Richard. There is probably a second secretary named Otto Mueller somewhere, and he will appear should Count von Steincastle be caught. You thank him and leave, thinking to yourself you may not have the time to take this information to the police. Count von Steincastle has undoubtedly set the meeting to take place tonight. You must just have time to get back to the embassy and try and follow him to the meeting. Guests are still leaving when you arrive. Instead of dismounting, you tell the driver to pass the embassy, turn around, and pull over to the curb. There, you tell him to wait... Get out and walk down the street to a good vantage point, and a short time later, a heavily cloaked figure emerges from a building down the street and steps into a waiting carriage. You would never have noticed him but for the flash of a scar on his cheek as he passes under a gas lamp. It's the Count. You race back to the street and tell your driver to follow. Count von Steincastle pulls up at Lancaster Gate on a Bayswater, dismounts and sends his carriage off, then walks quickly into Kensington Gardens. You follow, trying to keep out of sight. Pick a number and add your artifice. Needing a seven, getting a eight. Artifice has never worked out well for us, but here it does. You manage to avoid being spotted by Von Steincastle. He moves through the park with an assurance of a panther stalking his prey. Then standing under a street lamp is McGill. The Count walks up to him and shakes his hand. The two men converse quickly and move out of the pool of light cast by the gas lamp. Then moving closer, you see it. McGill hands over a packet and the Count appears to examine it. He nods, hands over the paper wrapped package, he shakes his hand again with McGill, and the Irishman turns to leave. Without warning, the gleam of light flashes off the blade of a knife, and von Steincastle throws himself onto McGill. He places one hand over the Irishman's mouth, 
and with a practice motion slides his blade in its hilt between the shoulders, soldier's shoulder blades. Mikhail crumples, and without a sound, the Count looks around, retrieving the wrapped package and turning to leave. You've just witnessed a cold-blood murder. You know now that Steincastle is man is a key to your entire case. Yes, because of the murder of it all? Mm-hmm. You gauge his direction and then race off into the darkness, hoping to get ahead of him. After a good ten minutes, you can't come upon a path and look for a tree to hide behind. You wait, heart thumping in your chest from the exertion and the anticipation of what's to come. Then you hear a crunch of cinders as he approaches your hiding place. You allow him to draw even with you, and then launch yourself. You must make this quick. Von Steincastle is a skilled fighter. Pick a number and add your athletics. Needing an eight, getting an... <gasps> Please tell me we got it. Please tell me we got it! I'm gonna send you a picture. He's just gonna kill us if we fail. My good giddy god. That is, on the red die, and number two. And on the black die, and number five, plus one gets us a total of eight! Woo! Four, eighty-six. He kicks at you while fumbling with something inside the sleeve of his jacket, but his foot slips on the loose gravel and he falls to the path. You have your chance to make the best of it. As he tries to climb to his feet, you lash out with all of your strength. You're not a skilled fighter, but you're a lucky one. Your fist catches him on the jaw and he crashes over, his head slamming against the trunk of a tree. You trust him with his own belt and fetch a policeman, holding your throbbing knuckles with your good hand. One more day finds you at Baker Street. Turn to 493. Congratulations, Richard! Says Dr. Watson, hoisting his glass once more. It was very fine work. I couldn't have done I couldn't have done it without your help and that of Mr. Holmes. You reply modestly. I still feel it unfair that I receive all of the credit. I was only involved from a consulting capacity, Richard. I still feel it unfair that I receive all the credit for the person who I watched with my eyes murder a man and then fought and wrestled him to the ground myself. I feel a little bit unfair that I get credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Declares Holmes uncurling from the sofa and reaching for the port. You did all of the work. It is not as if you took all my advice after all. Yes, well, my independent thinking might have captured the spymaster. It almost got me killed in the bargain. I'm not even sure how to comprehend it all yet. Complains Dr. Watson. Holmes, you said this fellow Count von Steincastle was behind the whole affair. I can't see how he could have been. These Irish bombers do not count out to the Kaiser. You're right, of course. You reply. But McNeil and his friends were unaware they were doing the Count's bidding. Correct, Richard. Interjects Holmes. Though we may never know just how the information was presented to the Separatists, I rather suspect that von Steincastle and others like him provide a certain amount of discreet assistance to organized groups outside the law. There are occasions when these groups would prove useful as cat's paws. I would not be surprised to learn that some of McNeil's friends owe their first loyalty to the Kaiser. Private Murphy, for example. Murphy? You exclaim. Not that dolt! That dolt, as you called him, fooled you, remarks Holmes coolly. You suspected all along that Private McNeil would be watched by another member of the Irish gang, did we? <laughs> what? That proved to be Private McGill. But there was another observer, Private Murphy. He didn't work for the Irish. He was von Steincastle's man. He, uh, man rather. He saw to it that McNeil would be free for his rendezvous with Admiral Weathersley, and then later with the Count by switching shifts with him. The man was unreliable. He ran away. Only when you got too close to the scheme. I suspect it was he who carried the word of your investigation to Count von Steincastle. He was the reason you were watched, and later... Nearly killed. He has disappeared, you know. What? 
you exclaim. Yes. Once von Steincastle was placed in police custody, Private Murphy disappeared. The woman you knew as Ludmilla Mueller has disappeared too. They probably left the country together. I suspect that Murphy is German and was placed here as a spy many years ago. Gaping at Holmes, you shut your mouth, and unable to think of anything intelligent to say. The waters have risen well above your head. You did not think to get all of them, did you, Richard? Holmes says with a sardonic smile. Count von Steincastle was the big fish. He's worth more than all of the others. Is he talking to the police? Asks Watson. Not a word about anything important, Doctor. You would think he'd forgotten English since his capture. He'll only answer in German. But it's not the reason he is valuable. It is because whilst we hold him, the German espionage apparatus will limp on inefficiently. Just by keeping him, we will cripple them. Oh, and what'll happen to Admiral Weathersley? Asked Dr. Watson, turning to you. The rope, more likely than not, you reply. He did betray his country, after all. I understand, but I do pity the man, he replies. I believe Holmes told me you'd been granted an audience with the Queen tomorrow. Is that right? It is quite right, Dr. Watson. You say, standing to leave. I'd best leave now. I'd forgotten an appointment with my tailor in less than 20 minutes. Ah, oh, very well, Richard, says Dr. Watson as they both rise to wish you farewell. Do come back and tell us about it sometime soon. You agree to do so and leave. Turn to 471. To go to the tailor? I would have assumed that would have been the conclusion. Yeah. Oh. Mr. Huntington. <laughs> we wish to express our sincerest thanks for your matter, for the matter, rather, in which you conducted a most difficult task. You have succeeded beyond our expectations and still managed not to alert the newspapers, comments Queen Victoria, her manner gracious yet regal. We would no doubt, we have no doubt, rather, that you would identify and discover the identity of the murderer. Our ministers spoke very highly of your skills. Thank you, Your Majesty. You stammer, more than a little bit nervous. We must admit, we were surprised to learn the identity of the murderer. She continues. Admiral Weathersley has been our member of our household and friend for many years. His wife Elizabeth was very dear to us. We suspect her death must have unhinged him somewhat. That could be, Your Majesty. You rely thoughtfully. Love sometimes does have a way of putting us in difficult situations. It does not excuse his actions. No, Your Majesty, it doesn't. Mr. Huntington, we should like to confer upon you some signal honor for the service you have rendered us. We have discussed the matter with our Lord Chamberlain, and you shall hear from him in due course. For the present, suffice it to say that your father will not be the only one in your family elevated to the peerage. Thank you, Your Majesty. You say fervently, your head spinning. It is no more than you deserve, Mr. Huntington. She declares. Also, we rather suspect you will have little difficulty securing royal grants with which to carry your work among the criminally insane. Thank you once more, Your Majesty. Not at all, Mr. Huntington. The work you do serves all of us. Your Majesty. You say, summoning your courage. I'm extremely grateful for everything, but I believe I'd be remiss if I failed to say I had substantial assistance in this investigation. I couldn't have brought it to a successful conclusion without the help of Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson. Yes, Mr. Huntington. We are aware of both Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson. 
We have read of Mr. Holmes's successes as betrayed by Dr. Watson and find them illuminating. An hour later, you leave the palace. As you walk towards the guards on duty inside the courtyard, they come to a rigid attention and then in unison to present arms, a signal honor in view of the fact that you're a civilian. You realize they are thanking you for avenging one of their own in the only way they can. How they feel when they discover that he was a traitor. You smile at them and then walk through the short tunnel into the bright sunlit outside. Sunlight outside. Sir Richard. You muse quietly to yourself with a spring in your step. The end. <laughs> a touch cheery. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> I mean, even with the note that they brought into it at the end, these people are all celebrating you. Shame their friend was a traitor. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It feels like, is this the ending page that we would have gotten if we had tapped out earlier too? Because it feels like it's conveniently uh, ambiguous. I deeply suspect not. Yeah. Because uh, the other one was turning them into the police. I imagine <sighs> like that, like yeah. especially because this had like a little extension to it. I imagine that would have just been, you wipe your hands of this and walk away. I would imagine so. So I, I guess is this is, are we to believe that this is perhaps the best of endings? I believe so. I mean, we're, we're elevated to the peerage. We become Sir Richard. I know. Absolutely. So I guess we even try and deferentially serve some of the credit towards the other people that assisted us. This has to be the best ending. So I guess the only way to get a royal in jail, let's let's lock ourselves up. Let's just now. We, yeah, exactly. Now we'll we wait for the peerage, and then there we go. Boom. Well. Bada bing, bada boom, we did it. That was a, you know, that was a wild one. It was, it was some ups and downs. It was mm -hmm. definitely very interesting formatting. Uh, I do, yep. I'll say between this one and the other one written by this person, I do prefer this one for sure. Yes. So like both of them had like a deep intricacy of plot that I really, really, like really, really enjoyed. Uh, but this one... Uh, made the motives of each of the individual players much clearer and the interactions yes. between the individual players much clearer in a way that, like, oh, did, oh, did, this might be my favorite of the pure plots. Yeah. Construction aside, this is probably my favorite of the stories that we've read through. Yes, this one is a very, this one is a very good story. But yeah, definitely, I'd say the place where it, would, it is lacking, if any, is same as the other one written by this person, which is like, it feels like they didn't want to write a game book and they like, they're like, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in I'll, I'll, I'll make the game book, but I have like a really, I have a really interesting story that I want to share, uh, mm -hmm. that they were very excited about. And then they, and then they game bookified it after that. Uh, but alas, still it good. Certainly like mechanically, sorry, not to expand upon it for too long, but it certainly no, mechanically feels do. like that with both of those having this specific system of instead of clues and then combination decisions and deductions, it has a clues, decisions, deductions, and a results table. And it doesn't feel especially clear at all times what the designation and distinction yeah. between each of them is. Yeah, that and at, at no point did we have to point our finger at anyone. Yeah. We never named anyone. In fact, like, we got a confession from the guy, and mm -hmm. then Sherlock Holmes just told us the other one. <laughs> that yeah, exactly. A person that we didn't even know existed. And Sherlock Holmes was just like, yeah, it's this dude. Go get it. Mm -hmm. But don't.
so it, it is it's very interesting but yeah again i do i of the two from this person i prefer this one for sure and i do think this is one of the better of these stories for sure uh but hey that's the final of the sherlock holmes books that we can read because we don't speak french we did it we did it we solved all the mysteries there was one that we, <laughs> we solved most of the mysteries we we got a pretty good ending in i think all but one of the mysteries yes so i think that that's a that's pretty darn good all things considered uh there were definitely a handful where i would say they were mixed successes but i don't think there was a single one where at the end i was like this is this was an unsatisfying end so yeehaw mm. at the very least in each of them it feels like we discovered enough of the information to yeah. feel comfortable with the ending we got i that that said i am uh comforted deep within my soul to be ending the series on a full success and yes. in fact being made a knight of the realm yes. by the queen <laughs> tackling the criminal to the ground tackling a trained assassin criminal to a the ground spy master for a uh, uh, uh um what's the opposite of allied <laughs> yeah enemy <laughs> for an enemy country <laughs> <laughs> i only know friends that's yeah. it <laughs> the opposite of uh good uh bad bad guy there we go <laughs> yeah uh, we tackled into the ground ourselves and became a, a knight so yeah i mean pretty darn rousing success but of course our wife and daughter is dead <laughs> <laughs> as tattooed on our face <laughs> <laughs> that's so good i don't think we could have uh, sent off the sherlock leg that is to say season three of turn no. to page any better than this um so true. i'm gonna move on to the the executive producer for this yes. episode but afterwards we should give a little bit of a tease yeah. of uh, what's going to be following up after this yeah for the moment though Thank you very much to the executive producer of this episode, Scary Burgers. Much appreciated, Scary Burgers, for contributing over on the patreon.com slash turn to page cast at or above the hardcover tier. Of course, much appreciation to each and every person supporting over there at any tier whatsoever, but an especial thanks to the executive producer of this individual episode, Scary Burgers. Ah, but yum. <laughs> mm. what, what is the scariest ingredient for a burger? Mm. <laughs> uh human that's true that's true because you never know where they got it is this organic is this not yeah. organic <laughs> is this is gonna <laughs> ruin my gut biome if i ever completely <laughs> <laughs> yeah Actually, i that's... want free range humans not caged humans thank you yeah it's true it's true i don't want i don't want a gamer human i want a free range human i don't oh. know why but a touch grass <laughs> human <laughs> not grass fed it's a touch grass, a grass human. touched human a grass touched human not grass fed <laughs> i i don't know why but for some reason i can only think of an icon that would exist in neopets for an item and it's just two buns uh ensconcing a bat and the wings are just completely outside mm. of the bun mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's the scary burger in my mind yeah that i could see that too but yes, huge thank you to Scary Burger, thank, and thank you to all the wonderful supporters on Patreon for helping us do what we are doing for as long as we are doing it, and beyond. And speaking of beyond, uh, do you want to share or should I? I'll allow you. 
Uh, the next season, we are going to be taking, uh, theoretically, like a one-week break to get all prepared for it. But when we come back, there is a little bit of a return to an extent. Okay, now that that's that makes it seem like it's one thing. There, we're going to be going to read Twist a Plot, which is may or may not be known, but it is very important because multiple of the books in the series are written by one R.L. Stein, the mm-hmm. writer of Goosebumps, and probably some Give Yourself Goosebumps. There's a chance where when we read through Twist a Plot that we're reading more give, uh, more R.L. Stein books than when we read Give Yourself Goosebumps. There's a chance. Um <laughs> But, it's entirely possible. But was this uh, the precursor as well? Yes. Was this before those? Uh, yes. So yeah, the important thing, the the extra reason why twist a plot, uh, there's like a there's a handful of is there what is there eighteen of them? There's quite yes, a few. Eighteen of them. In there's total. eighteen books, uh, and they are the books that inspired R.L. Stein to make Give Yourself Goosebumps. Uh, they're supposed to be like a little bit more condensed, uh, and Potentially, they will be kind of in that sort of anthology, slightly mm-hmm. sci-fi, maybe a little spooky. And there's some of the titles that I'm very much looking forward to. And it feels it feels goosebumpy. I think it's about the closest we could get to new goosebumps. Give yourself goosebumps. Mm-hmm. These is. are the base elements that were constructed in a different fashion to make goosebumps. Yes, it's it's the precursor, the inspiration for for R.L. Stein to go on to do that. There's even like, uh, but they're not all sci like full sci-fi, full you know spooky or anything like that. We even are gonna one of them we're gonna have uh, R.L. Stein have his hand at a fantasy, a high fantasy book. Mm-hmm. Give yourself, give your what? Give yourself goosebumps. Choose your own adventure high fantasy by rl stein so basically one of the books is like an exact in the middle between season one and season two between give yourself goosebumps and grail quest and i'm very excited for that very excited for that it Uh, is going to fit perfectly in amongst the catalog that is the turn to page seasons that is indeed true uh surprise shock raps would you tell the supporters how they can support for free Sure. You can, of course, spread word of mouth about this in particular. You can also find any of the sites where you can listen to this podcast and also provide a review on them, allowing it to reach a broader and wider audience. Of course, the word of mouth thing is probably generally the the big one, because a friend of yours saying, hey, this is a thing I think you might like, is probably the most confident way for me to get into any media in my entire life. A lot of the time, Reno and I will share things like, hey, hard vouch, you'll like this. Yeah, basically before, I'd say like, maybe like a fourth of the hour or two hours preceding the turn to page recordings, like a fourth of it is recommendation sharing <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I i would say 100 percent. if one one of us was like i found this new podcast you might like on reading choose your own adventure books but not taking it too seriously but still like you know treating them with some reverence here you go you might like it i would yeah i'd probably be like yep yum 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 eat that up but anyways and what better time than when we're about to start a new series as well so heavily recommended and much appreciated if you've done anything like that I agree. Listening in general, by the by, it is so so true. But yeah, 
Uh, like I said, though, there will probably be, if you're catching these live, there'll probably be uh, about a one week off as we, you know, get, you know, the new art prepped, get ourselves a little bit of time uh, to prepare for the new season. But if in that time, you know, you haven't, you caught up on some of the episodes, huge recommend. Go check out uh, Twas, go check out Dracula, some one-off ones. If you have mm. not listened to those, those ones are fantastic and they're like a nice uh insular one-off episode you could yep. uh, you could listen to in, in, instead for that week and i highly recommend you do so those ones are fantastic a uh, special recommendation for dracula which feels so yes. singular within the canon of these just due to the construction of the novel attempting to mirror the original works it's so good but anywho uh alas alas that's that that's gonna do it here for this season of turn the page Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Adios.